0: Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's read folks. No sales from the front ever, and no smell of stale coffee, bin gay, or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about, those stuffy rooms, those- Nothing's been done in 15 years. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and education, hopefully. And if you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like. Share it across the internet. If you can rate it on iTunes and Stitcher, uh, that would really help. This is a free podcast, and all that helps, and I really do appreciate it. If you have any questions or suggestions, please leave a comment or send me a message at renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess, and if and when I ever get around to editing these videos and get them up on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. Legal disclaimer. I know. It's where we live in, folks. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment or investment decisions, you contact a lawyer, an attorney, and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right. <laughs> Time for show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors show quote of the week. Every week, I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And I always try to pick something, too, that I think might resonate with the guest. And I don't know, Renee, very well, but hopefully I did. Okay. And this is the show quote of the week. Patience, persistence, and perspiration make an unbeatable combination for success. Napoleon Hill. Patience, persistence, and perspiration make an unbeatable combination for success. And now it's time to let me introduce you to my guest, Ms. Renee Delia. Renee was born and raised in Michigan, and this is going to be a long one, folks, because she's probably the smartest person I've had on my <laughs> podcast today. date, so, so hang with me here. Born and raised in Michigan. She graduated from the University of Michigan with a BSE. Is that a Bachelor's of Science in Engineering? engineering? Yeah. Um, in Industrial and Operations Engineering. And I'm, I am I went to college for three weeks. Magna cum laude?
1: Yeah. La- did I say that right? Okay. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Close enough. <laughs> really fucking smart. Dean's List. She was a branch manager of her student painters of student painters while she was attending college. She worked at GE, General Electric, and some of – I mean, this is – you should have seen what she sent me over, so I abbreviated this right, so hopefully I didn't screw it up. Aviation Technology Services, Aviation Supply Chain and Service Division as Program Manager, Aviation Systems Division as Program Manager and as Shop Operations Leader, working on the landing gear of the Navy X-47B drone. And finally – I have no idea what this is, but it sounds really important (laughs) – Six Sigma Black Belt Global Processes and Solutions, where you are in charge and responsible for over 1,200 customers, 60,000 plus annual shipments, and $160 million in annual revenue. Is that correct? That's
1: correct. Yeah, you know,
0: We got to hit her here today, folks. <laughs> she went on to work for Quicken Loans for two years, where she was one of the top closers with over $30 million in new home purchase loans closed, helping over 180 families buy their home. Now she works with her husband, Joe Delia, at Keller Williams as co-team leader of the Delia Group, overseeing the operations side of the organization. And just to show you how far they've come, she's only been doing this since November 2014? Yep. Yeah, not very long. But Joe's only been doing it for a little over three years. So last year, their team closed 194 transactions for just under $33 million in sales volume. They currently have 15 team members four on the operations side, 11 on the sales side. Sales team leader, let's see, we got sales team leader, four buyers agents, one is a lead buyers agent, four showing agents, and two ISA, that's inside sales agents, yep. right? Yep. Um, goal and the plan for this year, 675 transactions for $125 million and build the team up to 32 team members. Geographically, they're currently looking to cover Oakland, Macomb, and Wayne counties. And some awards she got for all of her work. 2012 Customer Hero Award nominee, GE Advantage, Repairs Black Belt. 2012 Purpose Award nominee, GE Advantage. You get the idea, folks. 2005 Sales Achievement Award. She is currently active in the dog rescue community with three of her own dogs that were rescues and currently fostering another. She is married to Joe Delia, and they are expecting their first child in May. Congratulations. Thank you. And they plan on expanding their real estate business, to California in April. And as Joe says, I think he wants all the transactions, right? Yep. <laughs> Global, worldwide. Yep. yep. Welcome. You should definitely check her out. Thank go you. to facebook.com forward slash Delia, D-E-L-I-A, real estate group. That's facebook.com forward slash Delia real estate group. Or go to zillow.com forward slash profile forward slash Joe dash Delia. Or maybe easier, go to the dot com. The dot Group.com. Thank you for coming out. I appreciate Absolutely. It. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun one. Obviously, I've already this will be interesting to get your perspective too. Because Joe is just a force of nature, <laughs> a wave of enthusiasm and sales. Yes. And this is an impressive, uh, I gotta say, an incredibly impressive. So it looks like you've just were you born this driven? <laughs> like like I'm gonna do all this shit and before I'm even old. <laughs> <laughs> How old to. are you right now? I know it's terrible. 30. Ask, thir- that is a 30. you are a young woman and look what you have done. 30. This is amazing. Um Did you always want to go to college to become I mean, what a stuffy sounding it sounds <laughs> like you need an IQ over one sixty to 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 do this, to become an operate industrial and operations engineer.
1: No, definitely did not always want to do that. I think it's interesting the more I've learned to become self-aware and just started to think for myself type of thing. You know, you're raised and you're taught, all right, good, good grades, go to college, get a good job. J O B and um, retire with benefits and all this other stuff. Right. And I think meeting Joe and Joe and I've been together since we were 16. So meeting him so early on, he had a totally different mindset about what he was going to do in the world than kind of what I was brought up with by those around me. Um, so to start to hear that thing, those things at first, I was like, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Who does that? Like, it's not, that's not possible. Those, all those limiting beliefs and things like that. And, uh, And I definitely don't regret going that path that I did because I think it makes me a much stronger business person now and and doing a lot of that stuff I did with GE is directly applicable to what I can do with our business. So it just made me smarter, you know, in terms of how to do things, how to interact with people, how to lead teams, stuff like that. Um, But but just being able to kind of, I don't know, have, have his way of thinking and my way of thinking come together. Um, and just do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What would you say were were the main differences between your way of thinking and Joe's way of thinking, which are now more similar, right? Which is different backgrounds, right? You have different expertise, right? Yeah, Yeah,
1: definitely different expertise. So I think, um, I think to start, I had a lot of limiting beliefs. I kind of lived inside a box of norms, was less of a risk taker. Joe, He's definitely a risk taker oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm a lot more so now. Um, and, and and honestly just like for a relationship standpoint at times, um, cause our different beliefs about what you do in life and all these different paths you take, um, you know, it was challenges for us at times. Um, but he helped me see that life is really about following what you want to do and being happy and following your passion and finding out whatever that passion is and thinking big, huge, crazy numbers and, uh, now we just out big think each other.
0: Yeah. <laughs> huge is right.
1: But, uh, but there's never, he's never really struggled with limiting beliefs. And I think a lot of people do. So I think, um, that really helped me kind of open my eyes to, wow, this world's huge and there's so much you can go after. Yeah. So.
0: Very similar to you. I think the Joe Delia's of the world are relatively rare. I'm happy to have gotten there. He seems like he just arrived there. <laughs> you know, he came out ready to close, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looking for yeah. my first deal, you know? Yeah. Can't even talk yet. And yeah. it's more similar to you. Lots of limiting beliefs. Yeah. So you were on the... I'm going to college, right. I'm going, were you, did you know you're going to be an engineer or? um,
1: it Like my senior year of high school, I, I always loved math. So it was always something kind of in the back of my mind. And senior year I took physics at in high school and loved it. My teacher was great. So that's what got me kind of opened up to engineering. And my parents were saying little things like, ah, oh, you should maybe look at engineering. And, and so I actually, when I enrolled with Michigan, I wasn't in the engineering school. And then I switched over to it like Uh, I don't know, within the first week of being there.
0: So you made your decision quick once you were there.
1: Yes. Yeah. Cause there's a whole different trajectory and path you have to take in terms of courses and things like that. So, um, so once I was there, it was definitely what I was going to do. And I was going to do my best at that. Um, And then coming out of, of school at Michigan general electric, I got offers from different companies and they'd always revert back to, uh, well, we just follow GE's model. I'm like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) If you're, This is um, Lockheed Martin's a good example. So they were telling me, you know, the development program that GE has is phenomenal. You know, we model ours after theirs. And I have a offer from GE, and I'm like, well, then I'm going to go work for GE. <laughs> I'm
0: going to go work up the original, not right. the copy.
1: And it's a lot of what we do in business today as well, is look at those who have done things really, really well, and how can we um, leverage that instead of reinventing the wheel and make it even better. Um, so it's, it's funny just to kind of see how things are full circle, right? Business is business and, um, and companies are companies. And if, I don't know, I just, we really believe in, in learning from others and always learning.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. What does, what exactly does an industrial and operations engineer do?
1: Processes is probably the best way to sum it up. Improving processes and efficiency.
0: Can you give me an example of something you did for GE that, um, you know, try and keep it as simple as possible. I know you you <laughs> sure. did a lot. I mean, you were in charge of a sure. shit ton of people and a twelve hundred customers. And how many people do you have working underneath you?
1: Uh, up to about forty five. Yeah, that's point. pretty
0: significant, right? Especially how young. So you were doing this at twenty two, twenty three. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah,
1: um, it was really cool. Um, I think being pushed and stretched in those situations, and they do have a great training program. Um, I had a bunch of shop guys, the sixty. 50 to 60 year olds, union, tough out in Boston.
0: Yeah, you got to convince and, uh, them to do something, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So you really learn how to tap into different personality styles and and kind of expand how not just how you want to operate, but how you need to operate to serve those that you're working with. And um, so, so yeah, I think uh, one of the, I guess one of the things that I did is um, my engineering degree helped with was the landing gear program that you mentioned. So it was the first, um, unmanned aircraft to launch from an aircraft carrier ever.
0: That's amazing. So it was the first time
1: that was done and we did the landing gear. Um, and the project was super behind the government was all over us to get it done. I hadn't really been involved at that point And, just asked my um, shop leader if I could take a bigger role on it. So like challenge, I don't know why, like you asked, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> Glutton you for pain. You wanted a challenge. Like, I,
0: okay, give me the worst possible <laughs> yeah. situation and let me at I'm it. I'm kind right? of bored
1: with this stuff. Can I get involved in this? Cause I just saw a need and it is like, I think I could add value here. So, um, started doing that. And, uh, it was literally, you know, when you're building a landing gear, there's hundreds of thousands of components that go into that. And it's the timing of making sure that you have everything when you need it to build the next step and then you have to do all the testing and then finally goes on an aircraft and it launches and you hope that it prays or you pray that it lands <laughs> yeah absolutely otherwise <laughs> without back to damage the so, bar, right yeah so it was uh, a lot of logistics and organization in terms of making sure all those uh, suppliers were getting us all the components that we needed in time it was working with our own internal shop that was machining parts um, to make sure that we were making things correctly. We weren't having a lot of scrap. Things were getting through um, so that we could continue to build up the gear. And then um, coordinating with all the different test sites that we had to go to. There was a test site in Ohio, a test site in California. So uh, just a lot of logistics um, and resource planning, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah.
0: That was an amazing accomplishment. What a cool thing to work on, too, the landing gear of the drones. How long did you work on that specifically?
1: That was about a year and a half. Yeah. Year
0: and a half. Was that like 80 hours a week, year and a half too? Uh,
1: more. more. I literally didn't come home from the office. If you want to call it an office from the shop a couple of times, uh, took a 30 minute nap in a car one time. <laughs> 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 then it goes so well, woke up shivering. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty insane, pretty yeah. crazy, but it, it wasn't, you know, I obviously didn't do it for the money. It was salary. So yeah, I just, uh, I just wanted to, wanted to succeed. I wanted to to meet that challenge and get the deer, the gear delivered and we we're literally at the point where we had a we had to deliver by September 3rd or there were massive repercussions like the program would be canceled and crazy things so um yeah just focused on that goal and ran
0: so you had to get it done had to
1: get done there was no other option
0: yeah what were some of the barriers uh some of the things I don't know what you can and can't talk about I don't know, I don't know if any of it's classified or whatever but don't get yourself in trouble but Obviously, there were challenges and things For you had sure. to overcome, especially being so young. And you brought up a great point: being twenty-two, female, and out of college, and dealing with these rough and tough fifty. I just imagine well, big teddy bears. Yeah, <laughs> I could see I could see them. You know, like oh, you're not going to tell me what to do, and then win them yeah. over and absolutely get them to what you absolutely need to get do. Right, that's a lot of persuasion and leadership yeah. and all that. What were the challenges, and how did you overcome them?
1: With, with that piece of it, I think it's all about just get your hands dirty. Like, I don't believe in hierarchy. I don't believe in any of that crap. Um, whether you're cleaning the toilets or you're the CEO of a company, I think everybody, you know, should be treated the same. And if work needs to be done on either end of that, I'm more than willing to ooh.
0: That's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. You grab that. All right. Just, her, uh, she knocked over her uh, water bottle because it was... Uh looking mean there you go you'd be good water bottle
1: (laughs) uh i'm more than willing to jump in on on either end of that and uh, get it done so i think when they started to see that i was coming in on a saturday on a sunday whatever it was to see how we needed to calibrate a machine to run the parts correctly um and get my hands dirty it got their trust pretty quickly and then the other challenges were mostly suppliers it's hard to control things that are outside of your walls um so helping them with their tooling or their design things like that to to make sure that they stayed on their timeline and hold them accountable to that. Cause otherwise it would hold up the whole, the whole line. Yeah. So. How
0: did you, how did you hold suppliers accountable? Cause that's a, that relates to <laughs> business today. too, yeah, absolutely. right? Is there's, absolutely. There are mortgage brokers. Yeah. There, there are lots of people that influence whether a deal gets done or not. And right. you have to have a way of holding them accountable.
1: Right. I think, uh, coming from a place of contribution and that's very much what we try to do today as well is bring, um, Bring a sol- potential solution. Don't just bring problems ever to anybody. Nobody likes to be confronted with. Hey, why aren't you doing this? This 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 this. Say, hey, how about we try to maybe do this? Or can our team do this part so you guys can work on this other part of it? Type of thing. Just divide and conquer. And the end goal is that it just needs to get done. It's the same with houses. No matter what our client, if it's let's say one of our buyers needs to get into the house, and your seller needs to cl- to to get out of the house and sell it. So um, if all parties can remain focused on what that end goal is. And I mean, the power of a team is incredible.
0: Sounds like the power of a deadline, too, right? You're very deadline motivated. Would you say that's correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think I can't remember who said it, but a goal without a deadline is a wish or something like that. So that's that's interesting. So I'm going to go back in time now. Were you this way in junior high and high school? Were you the kid in third grade? Straight A's working this hard. Honestly, when did this?
1: Straight A's, yes, but I was much more shy um, and didn't really start to come out of my shell until getting into tough situations where I had to learn to be more direct and more assertive and um, and put myself out there to get something done. And I think what caused me to do that was a de- you know a deadline or look, there's no other way to do this. Like we have to hit this, so um, let's just get it done. Get how shit do you, done, right? Is that's it? right. Get shit done. How do you
0: <laughs> feel? I went. How do you feel about deadlines when a deadline's coming? I'm just curious. Uh, I know how I feel about it, but I'm curious how how you feel about deadlines when they're coming,
1: um, especially when it comes to our buyers closing on their houses or a seller needing to close on their house so they can get into their next house. It's like these are people's lives. Um, so to me, there's no, there's no, there's nothing we can't do to make sure. Sh- there's very little that sometimes we can't control things. Right. Yeah. But I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that we hit that.
0: Yeah. So basically just absolutely obsessed about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You want to get it done. Yeah. That's how, that's how you, you and Joe come off too is like, Nope, this is what we said we're going to do. This is what's going to happen and we're going to get it done. And not a lot of ego either. I would say.
1: No, that, no,
0: what was we both it, don't like
1: that stuff. <laughs> yeah, what
0: was it like working for a multi-billion dollar, I don't know if G's, they're not the biggest in the world, but they're huge. We're talking yeah, huge. reduction gear, nuclear reactors, Crazy. drones, like some heavy shit. Yeah. Some of the most sophisticated and advanced engineering and manufacturing on the planet, mm-hmm. from electronics to everything all the way down the line. What was it like working for a company like that?
1: It was cool. It was awesome. Um, the training pr- programs like i said were phenomenal i learned so much and they give you the opportunity to empower you at very young ages with no experience whatsoever they just throw you in and say here you go figure it out right because they they bring on the right type of people or the right type of uh behaviors and personalities and dri- they're driven people technical typically they're bringing on um but it was phenomenal working and seeing how big business runs and then being part of it um as I was, so I did some of the shop stuff like we talked about the landing gear, but then I also was doing the Six Sigma, which is all about process improvement, the methodology. But excuse me, behind it, um, we were working with the repair sites all over the, the world, and from that, um, I started to get more of the PL type of business, productivity, um, cash flow stuff like that, which was really cool, and more on the sales side of it, and a little bit less on the operations, which uh, was was interesting to me as well. But uh, what was interesting though about a company that um is publicly traded is especially the manufacturing side it's like how much can we push out that back door <laughs> yeah by the end of the month right it's so cyclical and so driven by that type of deadline that sometimes poor decisions are made in the process um so that was interesting too just it's to interesting
0: it. you mentioned that because um i had jeremy cronin on the podcast and i just released that last week and he doesn't want me to, to say who he works for but he works for a multi-billion dollar corporation too and he had the same criticism um with numbers and following that had to do with you you want a certain number of inventory but not too much and, yeah. and sometimes following those numbers actually hurts you in other places right so
1: it's, an, it's very interesting interesting it's a very well run run company though there's no there's no doubt um just to sustain the test of time right uh, one of the original stocks ever traded was ge um been around forever, and um, it was a phenomenal experience to work with them, for sure.
0: So what were you keep talking about these training programs. Mm-hmm. Um, what specifically, what kind of G training programs did you go through, and what kind of effect did they have on
1: you? So uh, I went through a program that's called OMLP, which is Operations Management Leadership Program. So, all about how to run operations. The career path typically is that you go on to run one of the manufacturing facilities or one of the shops. Um, it was four six-month rotations. So every six month you're moving to a different location around wow. the country so we started Dude, that's
0: intense <laughs> every six months For,
1: yeah you don't have long to learn you know a lot of people they start a job they're like "Well, oh, in a year i'll be comfortable with it like, you don't you have a month to get comfortable <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have 30 days <laughs>
1: and then you got to make an impact and you're gone in six months so uh it was awesome it was really cool it gives you it gave you a, a different flavor so one of the roles would have been in uh like a quality or a technical role um closer to engineering one would have been um from a leadership role it's when i was out in boston at a a, a team of, of guys few girls, two girls <laughs> at the 45. Yeah,
0: it's lonely being a female in engineering, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. There's not many of you.
1: Uh, so that was, that was cool. And then uh, we went down to actually to, I went down to Texas um, and helped start up a new facility down there. So from the, the ground, you know, four walls, building an a industrial operation was really cool um, to be part of that and, um, and implement how they were going to set up their lines to be most efficient. So that's where that, that engineering degree comes in. And then uh, did stuff with logistics and transportation. So you got a really good flavor and an overview in a two-year period um, of what operations is and what manufacturing is and what aviation is. And really, really cool.
0: Yeah, it sounds like maybe a master's and a PhD. Yes. <laughs> PhD degree, but it's, by the way, you have to do your job too, right? Right. Is that kind of what it was?
1: Absol- yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. I like, so was it a sink or a swim atmosphere or did you get lots of uh, mentorship and motivation? It really, too?
1: It really depended on your leader. So important. And I'm sure that's the same probably anywhere. Um, if you got linked up, that was almost more important. We kind of got to pick our roles and where we wanted to go. And that was the most important thing to me uh, just as much so as what I was going to be doing was who I was going to be working with or for. Um, and if you, if you got paired up with, you know, somebody who believed in, in helping people grow, then you, I mean, it was awesome and you had support and you could take it to a whole different level. Um, others, you're just kind of thrown in the mix. You don't have any support, just go figure it out. You learn a lot from those too. Yeah. Don't
0: cry. Don't come crying to me.
1: <laughs> it was a little bit of, a little bit of both, but there's a lot of really great leaders, um, at GE. So I
0: got it. Yeah, but I imagine you don't stay a multi-billion-dollar company without at least Probably some not. great people, right? Yeah. Otherwise, the market will just end you. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. It's a lot like of there's, great there's there's
0: a lot of competition out there too at that level yeah. as well. Yep. Um, so you worked for GE for six years, just under six years. Yep. So you went to college, became this uh, industrial operations engineer, which is fancy schmancy for operations, right? Right. And a lot of math.
1: Right. Uh, a little bit of math, a
0: little bit of math. Okay. A lot of
1: people really operations and uh, inefficiency and trying to improve processes. It really all usually boils down to people.
0: Yeah. And people are difficult to manage. I know how difficult I am to manage. <laughs> Maybe now's not the time to say that Let's <laughs> say I better than I was before you run. Um, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty intense, but at some point you, I don't know what the plan was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when did you start having different ideas about what you were going to yeah. do? Right. Cause I know you were committed. You got your, you did very well, obviously in school, you got a good GPA and you graduated very well. And you went on to a very excellent demanding job, mm. but at some point that uh, your mind changed or it wasn't enough or you went in a different direction. Right. What point was that?
1: Um, I think most of that happened. So the landing gear project was uh, when we were living out in California um, I think that's when I first started to think about potentially doing something different or owning our own business, um, working hun- literally one week was 141 hours. And I think there's like 152 in a week, something yeah. like that. It was just crazy, that is crazy. <laughs> um, which, which is cool. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what, I think I'm getting pretty good at this type of stuff. Like it'd be cool if I was compensated maybe for a, a little bit of it.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you mind sharing how much does a GE operations guru, uh, maybe a range, whatever you're comfortable yeah. with. Um.
1: um, so, uh, it varied. Some of the roles I actually did get paid over time, which helped. Um, like when I was a shop supervisor, super, I hate that word, but, um, I got compensated for that. The starting, you want to see like, probably about 60, 65, coming right out of college. Um With that overtime, I think, actually, my first year, it was closer to about 93, which is not very bad for your first year out of college. Um Then you get back on salary, there's no more overtime, and then it yeah. drops back down to the 70, 80, 85 range, I think, at the most. So
0: And you're at least 16 hours a day there. So, when you do the math on that... It,
1: you know, your hourly rate's pretty low. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> wait a second, I got
0: this fancy-schmancy yeah. education and job. Yeah. So it was the compensation that it started was a making you piece think. Piece of it.
1: I yeah. never like a lot of people in aviation too loved planes and loved learning about like all the different aircraft that different components went on, and I never really had a passion for aviation. It was just kind of I had a passion for operations and building you know, business and helping people and helping improve processes and things like that, but never really for aviation. So I didn't necessarily feel like that was my niche. When we were out in California. Uh, we started investing in property. We had a gold business. So I got to do a little bit more of the business stuff and get more on that side of it. And then um, started investing in property, got a little bit more on that side of it. That's really when the wheels started turning in terms of where do we want to be in five years? What do we want to do? Um, we wanted to get back closer to family was really important to us. Wanted to start a family which now we're doing yep. so Congratulations. On it. thank you. Um, and so we made a move back to Cincinnati. So I took a job, um, after we were in California with general electric, took a position with general electric back in Cincinnati. So it's closer to home.
0: Just get a little closer. Yes, Within striking distance, yep.
1: right? Yep. yep. Striking distance. So, uh, and Joe was doing a little bit of, um, we were doing, a little bit of flips slash buy and hold fix up and hold type of um, situations with real estate there. He was dabbling in a little bit of the retail real estate stuff. Um, and then we're like, you know what? Like, Let's just get back home. We're close and within grasp. But let's just go. Um, so at that point, it was our goal was to form our own business together, be in business together, um, to create the lifestyle that we want, to create a legacy for you know and and something for our children and and all of that, and be close to family and friends again. Um, so that's when I left GE and decided to go back home. Um, we were at the point where, where I could not work also financially and just the timing wasn't right for that. So I knew that I needed to go into something. Um, and he has been the one, you know, that kind of starts it from the ground up. He's got those big dreams and he just boom goes at that. So I went to Quicken Loans. Um, but the plan was at I'd say from the point where we were in California and starting then to move back to Michigan. The plan was to have our own business at some point. So uh, when we do have a child, it can be a flexible work arrangement. And yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Stuff set so, up, so why don't you like the the, the label supervisor? I'm just curious. Oh, I know you said I don't like cringe. that. You cringe. I'm curious why. Because
1: I think I think a lot about um, collaboration. It's more just like on with our team. It's not a. I work for I just like we both cringe when somebody says I work for Joe and Renee. Um, You work with us and everybody on our team is an equal contributor to making sure that the team is successful. Um, So just believe a lot in the team and getting shit done. Um, Not so much who has what title and who what hierarchies in place where I don't. I don't know. I don't like that stuff. Okay. No, I was just <laughs>
0: interesting because you, you you pointed out I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting that you don't you don't yeah. like that." And I don't think it's an accident either, right? So, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that. So, tell me about this um gold business you guys had. How did you have time to help Joe with the gold oh, business gosh. on Oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah, did you sleep in your 20s? No. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I did not sleep in my 20s. Um. Uh, no, so yeah, that was and that was towards the tail end of that landing gear program that I was working crazy crazy for it too. Um so I did my piece, Joe and I. It's been kind of cool. Like you think you alluded to earlier, we both have diff- very different skill sets. So we have a lot of the similarities in terms of uh, being driven and chal- like challenges and things like that. But he's much more the extrovert, people person, sales, and I'm much more of the organization, logistics, operations. Right, that's my background and that's my passion. I'd say his passions on the sales side. Um, so with the gold business, we had it set up pretty similar to how we have our real estate business now um, he was out doing gold parties with people so basically it would it sounds like you're running a drug <laughs> drug <laughs> business but i swear it was legal uh but you it's like a tupperware party kind of concept so we'd go we'd have a stack of 10 grand cash bring it to the party um and the host would have everybody bring their old gold like 80s missing one earring huge gaudy stuff gold nobody wanted anymore um and then we'd weigh it on little scales we'd test it to see uh to yeah, see what, what it. carrot it was and then um And then we'd put it in little baggies based on what carrot it was, and we'd pay people out cash. So we'd collect all the gold, we'd pay them out cash. Um, and then my, my, and then we'd melt it all down and flip it, right? And my, uh, my role in that. That business that we had was the logistics of who's going to do what gold party what day, addition out the cash, which was fun <laughs> when you have a, literally a stack of cash. It was a stack. You went with like a
0: 10 grand. Yeah. How, how thick a stack is 10 grand?
1: It's actually not that thick. It's like uh, if it's if, well, we would do sometimes some 20s, 50s, some hundreds. Right. But I think it was like uh, half an inch. Three quarters of an inch.
0: A little disappointing, but still know. pretty cool. Like, wow, yeah. I'm actually holding it in my hand. hundred end.
1: grand is a lot. It's a, oh, that's yeah. a stack. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I would just do that in the evenings. I'd go work at GE during the day and do all that stuff and then come home and spreadsheets. You know, how much do we buy? How much do we sell? What's our profits? Just starting to do P&L type stuff.
0: Yeah. Fuck hobbies. Point, so. I'm going to flip gold. How long do you guys... It's funny uh, you say that. Because yeah.
1: like hobbies, like some, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today um, they're like, you work all the time. i like, I don't actually feel like I work. Like it's, it is my hobby. Like, this is what I enjoy. It's my passion. I love it. Just like people like to read a book or they like, and I like to read books too, but like to sew or go for a run or whatever. Everybody has their thing they like to do. Like I like to do business. <laughs>
0: this is what you want to do. <laughs> this is what I want to do. Yeah. Then. It doesn't yeah. feel like work. when no. I feel that way too. Yeah. I like work. I'm not, I'm not as discriminating as you. I just like work i like i like having something to do yeah i like the idea of it never ending either too so which is why i like farming so much because you're never done which is really appealing to me so i understand it i realize that i'm not like you though you're way way out there but (laughs) i appreciate that but i know we look fucking crazy to to most people right they're like what are you doing (laughs) what about your show on thursday night i'm like I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So right. and you even kind of look a little crazy to me a little bit, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. It's just wow. I thought I was I thought I was nuts. So <laughs> how much gold did you guys buy and flip?
1: Uh, it was around two point six million in like a eight month period, something Damn. like that. It's a lot.
0: Damn, it's a lot of gold It was flipping. a lot of
1: gold. It was a lot of fun. And it's really cool because it's it's really what helped give us the means, the money to get into real estate. Yeah, because you start down that road.
0: Need some starting capital, right? Yes. So you can borrow it, or you can make it, or you can do both, right? Yes. So you guys, yep. did did you know you're going to do real estate though, or you're just looking for opportunity? And gold was it?
1: Um, I think right around that gold. I think Joe probably had an intuition about it even before we started doing gold. But I think once we got into gold and living in California, and I mean, just seeing the real estate out yeah. there, I think we're like, yes. So we know we want to have a business, this is the business we want to have, okay, now we need to get ourselves back to Michigan because that's where we want to grow the business and that just put all that plan in place to reach the goal.
0: That's where the patience comes in. What year was that when you put the plan in place? That was
1: 2009, 2010.
0: Okay. So that was a fair, that was like six, six, seven years before... Mm-hmm. there's a, yeah, a lot of groundwork a lot of people think like oh they just showed up and success happened and they, no. <laughs> they ignore all that shit that happened no. before right i yeah. hate that you're an instant success like what about my 20s when i didn't sleep
1: yeah no there was a lot yeah there was a lot of we made very um what's it called decisions very intentional we we're very intentional with every move that we made uh i shouldn't say every move. a lot of them uh for instance we bought a fourplex in uh four unit in cincinnati it was in the hood Um, like there's only nine houses on the street and there were shootings in three of the nine houses in a six month period.
0: Sounds like my neighborhood.
1: (laughs) There was a, yeah, it was a little
0: uncomfortable, a
1: little uncomfortable. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and we did that to save money because we were also doing a massive renovation over a hundred thousand dollar renovation on another place and we literally didn't have money. So it was living live in this place and try not to get killed,
0: (laughs) stay alive and and profit money.
1: (laughs) But it was very intentional because we didn't want to go into debt. You know, we didn't want to go into more debt than we already, you know, putting into the other, the other house. And, um, we, didn't want to have to rely on other people if we didn't have to. I think Joe's, uh, Joe's parents ended up giving us like a $1,500 loan or something like that. And I just, I hated that feeling of like owing money to somebody. And to like talk about giving you a drive, like that gives you drive to just do whatever you got to do to just, I don't know, you know, be able to do it. So, so I think, yeah, every, we made a lot of really intentional decisions and it took five years, like you said.
0: But, yeah. It's a long, it's a long time. And I think it's important. People realize it just doesn't happen. You no. got you to make that shit happen, right? right? Don't come to you. You got to go to it. Right?
1: I think they say, um, what is this? a, uh, dream? No goals without a plan. is just a dream. Yeah. And it's totally true. If it, you can, you can dream big, which is good. That's a first step. You have to think big to have any kind of shot at being able to grow something big, but then you got to actually put a plan in place and follow and measure yourself to it. Or there's no way.
0: Well, this brings me to quicken loans was that mm-hmm. what I'm sure having said that that was part of the plan yes. right like okay i'm going to go learn yeah. x and yeah. okay so how how did you make that decision and why did you make that decision and yeah. how was it part of the plan
1: so um so quicken loans was yeah very sh- strategic more so than we even knew at the time um so joe's brother was working for quicken loans at the time and he was having a lot of success and doing great financially and um and it's in the real estate world, right? So we were knew we wanted to go into real estate and have our own real estate business at some point. Knew we wanted to get back to Michigan. Well, they're headquartered in Michigan. Um, great company to work for. The culture there is phenomenal. Um, so it was, uh, once I saw, then I, I got some of the numbers and what John was doing, John and Joe's brother. And uh, I was like, all right, this is a no brainer. So I went to Quicken Loans and it was twofold i went there yeah to learn and be closer to real estate knowing that i couldn't yet make a jump to just be an agent or anything we, we needed a little bit more cash flow to have we were still doing some flips and things like that um and i want to be able to get financing so to get financing if you know if you're yeah. self-employed it takes two years to build that up you need a w2 and for that w2s are nice to have <laughs> yeah. when it comes to leverage so um so did that and um and then it was, yeah, a little bit of a cash grab, if you want to call it that, but I learned a boatload about real estate and made a lot of great money while I was there. Um, the thing that we really didn't expect to come from it was the relationships that we now have and that are such a huge part of our business. I think that's what we underestimated.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to get to that, but let's talk about, uh, it's funny because doing the calls I do. mm mm-hmm. I actually have talked to a fair number of Quicken employees, probably several dozen, um, less than a hundred for sure, somewhere between 50 and a hundred. And it's interesting getting your perspective on it. Most of them had very negative opinions about it. Uh, but you got to realize too, these are the people who are calling in because they have problems they've either been ignoring or ideal right. in a percentage of the market that's less than 1% of the market where. Mm-hmm. You and Joe deal in the other 99% of the market. Um, what was it you liked about the Quicken culture specifically?
1: Um, so talk about getting shit, well, a lot of things. Talk about getting shit done. Um, th- at Quicken, if you get shit done, you're compensated for it. So you can kind of write your own ticket in terms of – Pushing yourself as hard as you want to push yourself, they give you all the support in the world in terms of training um, and people around you, a coach around you, and things like that. So, they're really the sky's the limit. And I love that. It was the first time I'd come from all the salary stuff, like we yeah. talked about. First time it was like, whoa. <laughs> like, so, this is like, instead of sitting next to, there's this guy when I was at G, he'd make, you know, three times as much as I did, and he'd sit and play Sudoku all day. Really, it's kind of frustrating.
0: How the fuck can you do that? <laughs> you, is a union or no?
1: He just been there forever. The older guy, that's like, I'm sure shit. he did some great stuff at different points in his career, but like, what I, this is I'm running 141 hours in a week or 150 151 hours in a week, and uh and then there's this guy. Sudoku. <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah, that, so that's that's a bitter pill, it, right? Like,
1: yeah. Oh. So then when I, and he was he was set he was in sales. So he was part commission. So when I started to think about that, I'm like, I think it makes more sense for me to be commissioned <laughs> just yeah. based on how I like to do things. And um, yeah, so that was really cool to me. It was very liberating, freeing. Um, and uh, yeah, the just the, I, I think that's a big piece of it. I like culturally, Um, they try to keep it as fun as possible. So I know a lot of people get burned out because the hours are long, no doubt. And I think that gives a lot of negative taste and bad taste in people's mouth. Um, Yeah, a lot of people
0: don't like to work.
1: Right. That might not be the place for you. It depends on the person, honestly. Because I think of the... And they literally they try like they try not they try to tell me not to take the job. <laughs> just, really? Yeah, that's how much of an expectation they set up front. That you're are you sure? Like you did all this stuff with GE and you went to Michigan and all this other stuff. Are you sure you want to come in? When you start there, you make I think it's like nine dollars an hour, um, and then you get paid a little bit of commission. So the first while you're getting your licensing, you're not making very much money, um, and it's a commitment, right? But if you can think big picture and you can see where you can get to in three six months, it's a no brainer. Um but a lot of people I think have difficulty seeing that and making it through kind of the minutia up front. Um, so they literally try to convince you not to take a job. They're like, this is going to be crazy hours. Like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, let's do it.
0: I mean, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we think this would be a cakewalk after what so, I just did.
1: I think that's where some of the neg- negativity comes from yeah. like the hours, but I was fully expecting the hours going into it. So I didn't have that issue. Um, they do little things like they have slurpees and snacks and like, you can ride around on little razor scooters, like just try to keep, you can throw footballs while you're on the phone. So literally the first three months while you're waiting for your licensing, you're calling six, seven, eight, nine hundred people a day. That's, That's all you're awesome. doing. You're being told if there's nine hundred calls, you're being told no eight hundred and sixty-seven times. Yeah, at least right? right. So uh so you have to do something to keep it fun and they blast music and it's just a it's just a really fun culture. And Dan Gilbert's a no bullshit kind of guy. And I really respected and liked that. So Wait, I
0: thought he was the second great Satan coming to ruin this city. Is that not true?
1: Oh, no. no not in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, I would say
0: not. He his money where his mouth is. That's, yeah, I think that's what exactly. people don't like. He's a man
1: of principle, right? Like, yeah. So he's being attacked by all these people. He didn't take any money for any of the, the other – a lot of mortgage companies did. He didn't do that. He's, people are – he's trying to get uh, – people are suing him. He's like, nope, we're going to fight it. I don't care how much money it costs. Yeah. We're doing the right thing. So – um, just a lot of the isms. If you've ever read the isms before, one of them is do the right thing. So a lot of culture, what the company is founded on and stands for, really resonated with me. And uh, yeah.
0: So what, I know the the um, you talked previously too about how good the training was at, mm-hmm. at Quicken. What was the training like at Quicken? What was your what, what was your favorite part of the training? What did you learn from the training that that is serving you today?
1: Sales, sales, just in general. And um, I didn't know anything about sales (laughs) literally nothing and now it's so cool to see whether it's mortgages over the phone or or real estate sales is sales there's like a couple of guiding principles and if you follow those principles you're successful in sales kind of type of thing do you know what i mean like um uh, acknowledge respond pivot arp I don't know if you're familiar with that. I have not heard of this. All right. Acknowledge, so, respond, pivot. Okay. When somebody brings you an objection, so how to handle an objection? Somebody says, oh, I don't want to go forward with the mortgage tonight. I need to talk with my wife. Okay, I understand that, you know, you want to talk things over with you wife know, It's definitely something um, I could relate to. I'd, You know, I wouldn't want to show up with a new house and my husband not know about it either. Um, what I... Um, and then, so then you respond and say, here's the thing though. I want to make sure that you get into that house and I know your husband wants to get into that house too. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead. Um, did you want to, uh, put it on a credit or a debit card for that appraisal, right? So you're just kind of like walking somebody through it yeah. so that they can get past whatever that objection is to be more open-minded to, to the end goal. And okay. It's just kind of helping That's people interesting sort way to, their way through it. Yeah.
0: To think about it is you you're helping them make a decision. Right. Is your objection really, are you complaining or do you have a reason not to? Right. right? That's most people,
1: it's like we're taught like our knee jerk reaction is to say no. Yeah. Especially when salespeople sale quote unquote salespeople are talking with us. It's like, no, no, don't want it. Don't want it. Don't want it. Right. So if you can, and I know you, I'm sure you get this on a daily basis of what you're doing. If you can just get, past that and get them to pivot away for that for a second and listen to you, chances are they need your help. And in mortgages clients we were speaking with, they needed our help to get financing for their home. And there's no other place. I would want to get my mortgage and Quicken Loans, knowing the process that they, and the people that they have in place there. Um, so it's just helping convey that to people by getting around that objection for a second. So they would listen and then making them feel more comfortable.
0: Yeah. And then so. make them make a decision. Of course, as you brought up, it helps if you, are behind your product or service, right? Right.
1: Absolutely. If,
0: if you really believe it's the best thing they could do, that doesn't hurt to ask them a couple more times, right? Are you sure? How right. about this? I know. I agree. You don't want to do that, but it's, hey, funny man, you say it's that. the best thing for you.
1: you that was know? one of the hardest things for me when I first started there. Uh, we did a refinance with Quicken Loans on one of our investment properties out in Arizona. And it was the worst process ever at that time. It was horrible. And there were so many different things going on with it, uh, but it was costing us $100 a day in hard money um, for every day Ooh. that Quicken Loans was late and getting the, the loan refinance. So it was a big deal. So it, I had such a sour, negative taste in my mouth from that one isolated experience before going in. So that when we first, you know, we were being trained how to brand and all this stuff, I was like, Ugh, I didn't really believe it. So it was really hard for me. And then I saw how far the company had come. That was years ago. So how far the company had come, what the processes actually were, and I believed in it. And I believed in the culture of the company. I believed, you know, what I'm doing is actually trying to help people. So I just need to be able to have a conversation with those people and, and let them know what I'm trying to help them with and um, give them their best options, right? I have background in, in some financials and operations, things like that. So just lay out a plan for them and say, these are the three options I think makes be an advisor and consultant versus just a salesperson.
0: Yeah, that that's a good way. Sell sell with value or what right. what do you call it? Um Joe calls it that too. Come from Uh, a
1: place of contribution. Yes. Thank you. Thank
0: you for helping me out there. Come from a place of contribution and then you're less salesy and more value added kind of situation. Sales
1: has such a bad connotation. Well, it's all the other, it's it's all the idiots ruining it, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The
0: used car salesman, I don't know, throw your keys up on the roof, kind of like really hard closes. It doesn't add much value at all, turns people off.
1: It's all about what your actual motivation was. And, and, um, so at first I felt like salesy and like oh I don't even believe in this and when I got over that and realized one of my directors who actually passed away last year was sad uh, really sad he was like 27 years old but Yeah that was sad. Um I you know he helped me like you're talking to people and these people are making one of the biggest decisions in their life and they just need to be able to talk with you and understand how this process works and what do they need to do next and what their options are, you know, they're nervous, they're scared. So if you can just relax <laughs> and have a conversation with them, then they're going to be in a much better position and you're gonna be able to help them. I just wanted to help people and, and that, that fear of rejection and like the sales side of it was getting in the way. And so sales doesn't really have to be about that is what I learned.
0: Well, and for most people, their home or their investment property, usually their home is the single greatest asset right. and the most amount of money they'll ever borrow and or make and or really come across their right. hands, right? So that is a huge. I mean, a lot of people have anxiety about that, right? right. And they don't understand the process. I'm not even sure I completely understand yeah. the process sometimes, <laughs> right? And I've been doing it for ten years. It's a yeah. terrifying thing.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um,
0: what were some uh, What were some of the best parts about the training programs, too when you When you went through them, that especially the stuff that applies to you still today,
1: still today. Um, so sales is a big piece of it, I think. Um, I'd say the other big thing I took from training people in leadership, um so now being and so I guess even with student painters, as really a student painters, right, we had a team, right I was a leader of our team in terms of um you know, making sure that they're in the right jobs and the quality was great when we were painting these houses and things like that, then it was GE, right? And it was running a manufacturing shop and making sure that we met the productivity goals and we were profitable. And, um, and then it, you know, now it's real estate and we have teams and we're responsible, Joe and I, for making sure that our team has unlimited opportunities. That's the biggest thing to us. And it's so cool to be able to create those opportunities. But I think what I learned through that path, because Joe, uh, Joe, if he was here, <laughs> it would bring it up. I wasn't always a great leader because I'm so uh, driven and direct. And I just want to get, 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 get it done. Um, I've I've learned through the evolution of all those different positions in leadership type roles um, how to work with different types of people. How I need to change my style in certain situations so that I can better communicate and relay a message with somebody. Um, just um, seeing the the bigger picture about yeah, it's about getting it done. But it's also about how you get it done, um, and getting mind, uh, getting people bought in to you know want to follow instead of, um, instead of you know just saying oh no you guys missed the quality on this oh great like now you know what I mean. It's no, just that's maturity a good point. Was I think a piece of it too? But that's what I learned uh, all throughout was leadership. I'm still
0: not sure I'm mature. That's a
1: tough thing <laughs> to be, right?
0: It really is. It's tough to be mature, yeah. especially when things are going wrong, right? Yeah, which they inevitably do. Yep. Shit, shit happens, and, and you sure. got to deal with it. I'm hoping I can maybe learn from you guys on that. I, I'm not the best with um, dealing with the different people, so I'm gonna stay in my lane for so, a while. Yeah, see if I can not <laughs> soak up some of that. To, yeah, yeah, and get it into my head. I'm wor- something I've been working hard on. So, two years at Quicken Loans, and during this time, I know you were helping Joe too. Joe was kind of starting. The I know he started as a buyer's agent more than anything else, but obviously, there was a period of time and you guys are very intentional where you took ground nothing Mm -hmm. right to over 30, was it 34
1: almost 33
0: almost 33 million in sales in 2015 with 194 transactions. I know that shit doesn't happen (laughs) on accident, right? That you have to want to do that, but you were literally nowhere in 2012. Right. So what kind of planning do you do and how did you, how'd you guys accomplish that? Cause that three years is not, I think it might've been three and a half, but it's, it's not a very long amount of time. And yeah. there are people who've been doing this for 30 years and are still part time agents right. doing six transactions a year. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do. Right. But I know a lot of people want to do more.
1: Right. Um, so I think um, the first thing Joe did and he told me this. So, when we were in a renovation for a hundred grand and things looked bad, like we might lose money and all this stuff. It was stressful. I right. I told you we were living in the not so safe area. The hood, <laughs> yeah, Cincinnati we, hood. We had to, and it's just a sacrifice we made to be able to flip another house. And, um, so, um, yeah, it, sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, when Joe started, yeah, when he yeah. when so he but he reminded me throughout that, that this is a learning process. Yeah. And he was a hundred. And at the time it was like, Oh gosh, this is an expensive learning process, (laughs) but he's a hundred percent correct. Um, those experiences, um, whether it was flipping a house or whether it was helping an investor or in Cincinnati for a short time, he did a little bit of, you know, helping people with property management or lease type stuff. Um, so he's kind of got his hands and kind of just learning what is real estate
0: okay and how do
1: i do it so testing
0: the waters kind of trial and error seeing where you guys wanted to go what works what doesn't kind of thing right so it's
1: like work to learn and before you work to earn is something that gary keller says all right i like that and it's it's so true because if you can the the more you can learn that at the very beginning and setting that foundation the better you're going to set that foundation and then Sky is the limit if you have a foundation, right? So, um, and I, I think it was obviously helpful with our situation where I had a W-2 income, right? And, Absolutely, And yeah. he could he could go in, and do this. But, um, so we started, I think, by doing that kind of dabbling and seeing which route do we want to go with us. Do we want to go investor route? Do we want to go uh, retail route and be an agent? And for a while, he was definitely on the track of, hey, you know, we're going to do investing. That's what we're going to do. It's like, okay, uh, let's do that. And uh, after a couple of, you know, I think it was 2014 he was kind of a part-time agent we had just moved back to Michigan part-time agent and we were flipping house in Mount Clemens <laughs> bought the house or did you hear about this one maybe? no no oh okay we bought this house for $9,500 uh, that's not very much <laughs> no put a hundred and 30,000 into it I want to say somewhere around there 120,000 into it and uh sold it thank god for more than those two numbers together <laughs> Barely? <laughs> Barely. Hey. So I and it was months and months and months and months and months and hours and hours and hours of his time, right? And yeah. his work and his efforts. And I think we made like $1,500. So at that point, and he was kind of doing some part-time retail stuff. at that point. He's like, I think I'm going to go the agent route. And we're like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, we'll still pick up rental properties. Awesome. It's some passive income. It's important to us, but let's go this agent route. And so that was, uh, you yeah, know, that was towards like the end of, it was 14. So like, a little bit through 14. And then, um, once he started focusing on the, the buy side and I was in mortgages, he was in real estate sales. We got started working with clients together, built the relationship with Quicken Loans that we now have. And, uh, it just took off from there to the point where I was pretty content at Quicken and making great money. Um, but in October of 2014, it was like Renee, <laughs> like, now is the time we need to do Help. this. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm swamped. For real. Can put and, your brain here. Yeah, he did uh, 50, 50 sides was the 2014 production, uh, 50 sides, and he was pretty much just by himself. I just joined him at the very end, so um, that's a lot. Of, and it was buyer-dominant, right? So like yeah. you said, kind of started as a buyer's agent. Uh, probably 85%, 90% buyers. That's a lot of running around, driving around the world. <laughs>
0: that's a tough beat, you know. Well, that, that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how well I would do it that Joe's pretty, I, I think anybody that can do that, that's a tough, you got to show a lot of houses, a lot of oh, no's, yeah. a, a lot of not working. Right. Whereas if you list whole, you, you got other people doing that for you, right? Exactly. Yeah. We learned
1: so much though. Um, I know, um, I think he actually talked about it when he did the podcast with you, but we learned um, like friends and family. We've been very surprised by, and I know this really um, got under his skin when we first started. It's like, why would our friends and family not, work with us. Right. Oh yeah. Or like somebody, we, you know, a friend we had just shown a house to, and then they go to an open house and they end up buying with that listing agent. Right. Cause and, and I think, you know, he was very self-reflective and said, you know, we don't have the right processes in place. We're not explaining things correctly to our clients, to let them know how relationships work in real estate. They don't know. And we're not having them sign an exclusive agreement so that they're just working with us and they know that we're going to be there to protect them, look out for their best interests. So, um, so we learned about that through that that kind of stage and um so just I love you guys. Took responsibility learning. for that.
0: He didn't say, "Oh, why? Oh, why aren't they working with me?" He's like, "What do I got to do right. to get them to work with me?" Right. That's a and it's
1: just a communication thing. An excellent it's, point. It's not like your friends and family don't want. To. It's not that they just don't conceptualize or realize how you're actually paid. <laughs> And to, it's to their advantage. It's very emotional buying a house. You go to an open house, you fall in love with it and maybe your agent isn't there because he was at dog rescue. Uh, you know, yeah. you want to just get the house at that point. Like you don't care like whether or not, it, you know, you don't really understand the ramifications of that. You just want to sign. If that listing agent in the open house is telling you, you need to sign right here to get this house, you're going to sign. So uh, it's just education like educating buyers a little bit more. And so we learned a little bit a lot about buyer side of the business. And then, 2015, it was just Joe and I, and then by the end of the year, we were up to 13, so.
0: So, at January 1st, 2015, it was literally just you and Joe. Yes. And he had done 50 sides, mostly buyer's work. Yeah. So, yep. really tough grinding, driving, oh, yeah. lots of houses, lots of showing, lock boxes, agents yeah. not showing up, lock boxes not working, buyers changing their minds, lying. It. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a tough beat to... 2015, 194 transactions and thirty three million end sales. Which, by the way, what was your first goal for two thousand <laughs> and fifteen? Because I know it changed several times.
1: Yeah. So uh, fourteen ended. The fifty sides was right about seven point one. Um, so going in fifteen, we said all right, let's double it. We're gonna do fifteen million. It may have actually started at ten, but I'll say. 15 million, double it. I st- distinctly remember. Um, and then we went to a Mike Ferry conference down in uh, the end of January in California. And he said, you know, whatever your goal is, add, add 10 transactions to it. So Joe's scribbling out on the paper, shaking. like, All right, 10 more. We're going to double it plus 10 more. And, um, and, and then we went to a family reunion with Keller Williams and Keller Williams has been such a huge, had such a huge impact. They're training, they're they're fundamentals. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that, but on our business. So go to family reunion, which is, um, a national event. All the KW, uh, color Williams agents are invited to go to it. It's all mine, uh, masterminding and uh, little breakout sessions in terms of different areas of the business you pick. There's like 12 for every hour and you pick which one you want to go to. Super phenomenal, awesome stuff. And everybody there, everybody there was like, I want to double my business, double my business, double my business. And, and they pushed us. to like, well, you guys did seven and now you like, you know, you have another person, Renee's with you now too. So you guys should be going for a heck of a lot more than that. And so then we started talking about, all right, maybe 20, 20 million. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I obviously we ended up finishing at 33. So, um, yeah, it was pretty phenomenal.
0: How do you go from two people and nobody working to 15 people and 33 million in sales in one year how do you do that
1: (sighs) so you have to first i think you have to realize that there's going to be chaos and things are going to be messy and you have to be okay with that so you have to be okay with um it's like the iceberg analogy so like iceberg the very top what you see above water looks all beautiful and snow and all stuff and you see what's going on under the water it's like this huge mass of craziness
0: turbulence
1: it's just how shit going wrong shit getting fixed or a swan swimming swans look beautiful but if you look under the water they're kicking like crazy right so i think um you have to be okay with that chaos and you have to have kind of a method to that madness which is goes back again to having that plan so um it's bite-sized chunks. You can't just look at it and be like, "Oh, I want to quadruple my business this year." Cool. Um, uh, was the first thing that you're going to do to make that first step. Um, you have to also be okay with leveraging. There's no way to do that I'm aware of the 170,000 purchase average purchase price to do 33 million by yourself all day as possible 80 <laughs> percent buyers um so you have to be okay leveraging and understanding that people can do the job better than you yeah that's a lot tough. of people have a problem with yeah.
0: that's i am i i came here finally but the first seven years i was on the complete other side i i don't even know how you guys did it it's such a hard thing to do especially because it was your guys business and you got to let go to get ahead right?
1: right right exactly how
0: did you let go to get ahead
1: um think something that was super helpful with that was having a, a really strong hiring process, which we're really just getting turning like crazy now. Um, so hiring the right people, because if you surround yourself with the right people, it's a lot easier to let a little bit go knowing that you've entrusted it with somebody that you're fully confident in their capabilities um so we follow keller williams recruit select process which is pretty in-depth it does a personality test up front or not test assessment i should say to just kind of make sure that they're the right fit for that position on the bus um
0: let's hold before we go because this is something that i was introduced to by joe right and you also um what does that process look like and why do you do it and where do you end up depending on what you get? Sure. Because somebody listening may not, this is very, this is news to me and this isn't exactly a hundred percent scientific either, but this is like very strong correlation, not necessarily causation. It doesn't mean you right. necessarily are or not. Right. You're just far more likely.
1: Right. Exactly. So, so it's really important to us in what we've learned through through the Recru- Rec- Keller Williams recruit select process is that everybody has a skill set. And everybody's skill set is different um, in different positions within your organization, whether it be on a sales side or an operations side, require different skill sets and different personality traits and behaviors. So if you can take what's called a DISC assessment is DISC and everybody want to check it out. it's uh, Tony Robbins disk. You can go on and take a free uh, assessment on there. It takes 10 minutes. Um, it'll really highlight for you what your leading behaviors are. So somebody in an operations role, you would want their leading behaviors to be around compliance and systems and accuracy. Those type of things. Well, those type of things are usually not the same sales that a salesperson has. Yeah, I suck <laughs> on all those things. <laughs> so a salesperson is typically in the sales side of the, uh, the business, you'd want to get somebody into the position who's <clears throat> um, very extroverted, gains energy from being in large groups, um there's, you know, a, a number of things that go with that piece, an influencer. Um, so those are very different things. So if you put somebody that's maybe a an extrovert, influencer type of high eye, they would call it, into a compliance or uh, an operations role, they could do it based on their intelligence. They could do it for a certain amount of time and they could do it at a relatively high level, but eventually they're going to burn out because it's not their natural behavior. So we're really big on trying to, to do that assessment up front, put people on the right place on the bus because everybody has a seat on the bus if you're talent there's a whole another discussion talent versus non-talent if you are talent there's a seat on the bus it's just a matter of getting you in the right seat
0: yeah I wish I would have had this when I started because I, I, my career is basically a cautionary tale of what not to do and what I suck at and what I insisted <laughs> upon doing for so many years if I just would have taken this fucking test 10 years <laughs> ago was it? by the way you suck at all this and you're good at this and that would have been a lot easier so I do recommend Correlation, not causation, doesn't mean you can't. And I do know it right. changes over time too. Right. So take the test. You know, they say it often can,
1: they say it can. They actually say it can only change up until the age of about twenty nine to thirty two. Well, there you go. And they say after that point, unless there's something super drastic that happens in your life somebody somebody dies or you get cancer or something crazy life changing that it's pretty set. Which I thought was pretty interesting. So it's kind of your pre thirty years that shape a lot of your behaviors, and then. It's kind of set.
0: Man, I hope I'm not too set. There's, there's a few things I'd like to do, but I'm definitely. You D, can flex. DI yeah, and not, uh, yeah, like that flex. Uh, <laughs> not so good on the SC, but I'm fortunate not, too where, you know, where my wife is.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just about surrounding yourself when you talk about making hiring decisions, surrounding yourself with people who complement and have the other things that you don't have because you really need to have all of it to be super successful. So, so
0: who was your first hire?
1: So I'd say like not the, who
0: I'm sorry what position because who okay. I'm sure is important but the position is more important. What position is the first hire? And would you make that same hire today? Not the person but the position. It's the position.
1: So um so our business was a little weird because we were a husband and wife team, right? Technically the business's first hire was myself. So there was That's true. Sorry Joe, about that. And I, was, no, I think he
0: was I, like co-owner like.
1: <laughs> I only say I only say that too because when you're growing a real estate business, like Joe was running around crazy with the buy side. Well, his expertise is on the, the sales side of it, right? The interaction with the clients and getting the negotiations and getting the deal done. Um, so that your first hire, you'd want to be um, somebody to do all the administrative stuff. Like you said, if you're a high I, you're that extrovert love sales type of person you're usually not going to be very good or want to do any of the paperwork
0: dude i <laughs> hate paperwork exactly i hate it <laughs> exactly so
1: and that's what joe did he wrote a list of like all the stuff he hated to do and that's what he was gonna get rid of
0: what a great idea
1: <laughs> okay. i highly recommend i, I honestly highly. i recommend hate all it.
0: this stuff and i'm gonna hire it out
1: because why would like you're gonna thrive where where you're doing what you want to do so just have yourself do that and then leverage out the rest of it it's like What's some of the greatest advice we ever got? Um, so the first first hire should be somebody to take that administrative crap off your plate so you can focus on what you're good at and they can focus on what they're good at. And that was you? That was me. OK. Um, and that person should be helping build a lot of your systems and your processes as you're continuing to grow. Um, and then the next hire would uh, and it was for us also as a showing agent. So, again, being super buyer heavy. You only have so many evenings, so many weekends in a week.
0: Yeah. There's only one you and one car and you can only show one house. To, yeah. You need somebody else to do it, right? So if
1: you want to grow, that's the only other way you're going to do it. Um, so once you've got the the administrative stuff off your plate and your nights and weekends are booked up, bring in a showing agent. So we brought in a showing agent, which worked out phenomenal. It was It was very liberating for Joe. He got a little bit of life back, where we, you know, we could see each other, and uh, rather than him literally being gone all the time. So, you
0: want to start a family? You have to see each other and spend some time (laughs) together a little bit, anyway, right? Right. Right.
1: So, showing, yeah, administration, administrative help, our operations help, and then showing agent. (sighs) Yeah.
0: And that would did that happen all in January or?
1: So I joined him in October, uh, November, and then the showing agent kind of started as like a, Hey, I'm double booked. Can you help type of thing really came into play though? Yeah. Starting in around January. Yeah. Yep.
0: From there. Cause I know it was like an explosion of, cause I just know how you guys attack and I know how you, I'll do all the things. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep.
0: So how did it unfold after that? Cause I know it was crazy and yeah, um, also, if there's anything that you would do different, let let me know too. because okay. I'm very yeah. interested in that. Um,
1: the recruit select process, yeah, I would definitely do differently. Okay, uh, we were hiring out of need instead of hiring out of. I don't know, whatever the opposite of that is. Uh, So we were hiring because we were desperate, right? When you make hiring decisions, when you're desperate, you'll take anything because you just need another body to do some of the stuff because you can't do it all. Uh, Whereas if you can get yourself in the position where you're proactively thinking enough about, all right, what does our growth trajectory look like? When are we going to need these different people and have a plan in place? Um, Then you can hire talent and talent is just unbelievable it's unbelievable the cost of a bad hire and it's unbelievable um how much of a drain and how much it sets the business back when you bring in the wrong person
0: oh that's an excellent point let's go over what are some of the bad things about hiring the wrong person? Because I feel like I've done this like <laughs> 10 times, right? It, it, it feels like a body blow to the business. Yeah. Instead of help, it's like I'm sinking. It's worse. And now you got more costs too. For real.
1: It's hard. And and I think the recruit select process basically what it does is it takes out a lot of the risk. It's not a, a sure thing that you're going to have the best rock star candidate if you follow the process, but if you follow it, you're going to take the risk out of not knowing whether or not they fit on the operation side of the business because you're going to do a disc assessment. You're going to, um, talk with them a lot about to see whether or not their talent, talents, always trying to raise the bar. Um, I think the saying is that non-talent doesn't even know where the bar is or that it exists. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's funny so there's just one way to think about talent i not think tail- that
0: <laughs> i've never thought about it like that before but i think you might be on to something there like what are you talking about i'm doing just great like, <laughs> that's all no yeah. no you're not that's, you could use some help here
1: but i think some of the big costs and it's not financial like so what like you're paying a salary you're paying hourly whatever it is i don't even see the biggest cost of the business of a bad hire as being the the financial money i think the cost is your time oh yeah because when you're trying to leverage you're trying to get time to get out of working in the business and work on the business the only way you can grow you have to be very uh strategic and planned out about how you're going to grow which means time on the business right so if you're just run 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 run, run okay now hire like whatever whoever um you're 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 you operating from a state of chaos which is isn't good um but, uh, yeah, so I think the, the cost really is your time. So when you bring in a bad hire and it's somebody who's not a, a driver, somebody who is able to think for themselves and work independently, you will spend hours and hours and hours and hours of your life training that person and then you may find out after you've gotten them to a somewhat workable place that uh they're not a fit for the type of role
0: (laughs) that's a bummer huh (laughs) yes i like how you differentiated between time and money right the money you can get back right the time and i think you're alluding to lost opportunity too the time you're spending with them yeah
1: absolutely Absolutely.
0: So do you have any safeguards in the hiring process or do you, do you put them through or who, who, do you guys make the decision together? How do you decide? I mean, uh,
1: So what we're doing now is um, so we get applicants in, we have them turn in a resume of course, and a disc assessment up front. And we won't use the disc as a me, as a, a preface to hire, make a hiring decision, but we will disqualify somebody if we're hiring for a certain position and their disc doesn't fit it. Um, so I think that's, a safeguard. If you put somebody who's super chatty catty and Kathy into a, an operations role where people come in and just like want to focus on their stuff, they're not all social and stuff. You're going to have a big problem. (laughs) So we'll use it to, to the, uh, discriminate and, and kind of sort that out, but we won't make it for hiring decision. And then, um, and then we'll do a sit down interview, talking through. You try to talk about the opportunity, but not get specific in terms of what the role is. So you're looking for talent, right? Talent just wants to be in a position where they're going to be challenged and they're going to push themselves. So talk about opportunity and what, what that means to them and what the opportunity would, you know, could look like and then kind of craft it together. Don't get into too many of the specifics or income or any of that stuff. If the person's truly interested and in is talent, they're not going to really even care about the rest of it. Mm. Um, and then what we've been doing is a second-round interview. We have always well, we have somebody take the AVA, which is like another step of the disc. It's oh. way more detailed. I don't know if you I don't know what this
0: is. What AVA? is the AVA? So the
1: AVA um, is another behavioral assessment. Um, kind of similar, but it's 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 so crazy. Uh, it, you answer just a series of questions, 10 minutes type of thing. So that's what it like actually looks like. The results of it, though, when you read through it, it's it's unbelievable how something a system of a, a, whatever technology is creating this report knows so much about you in such like by answering 10 questions. It's like they wrote an autobiography on you. So, um, but it's the same type of thing. It, it picks out like, uh, what are your strengths? Um, how do you like to be coached? How do you like to be given feedback? I don't know, just different interactive type things. It costs two hundred fifty dollars to get done, so it's it's not free like the disc is, and 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 that way. But we have people do that because it gives one more layer. and It gets pretty deep. In terms of the feedback uh, that you get on the report, and then we have been sitting down now, uh, Joe and I, so that they can get a full flavor of of the team and then and everything, and uh, yeah, make the hiring decision.
0: That sounds like a pretty intense test. Now, certain I having done this, and I tore, I took my, I just tore my life apart for three years, like just systematically, just fucking tore it apart with like a blowtorch and a pair of pliers. (laughs) It was necessary for me to do. It was Mm -hmm. the only way to get it done. But it's interesting you said that because a certain amount of human behavior, you feel like it's your behavior, but actually this behavior exists in other people, which is why right. these technologies can show you what your behavior is. And it can right. be, um, what's the best way to, to put it, um, eye-opening or, oh, yeah. I don't know, I wouldn't say shocking, but more like, oh, uh, really, I'm that guy, oh, or like when I first started recording myself, like, I sound like a fucking dickhead, man. (laughs) I was like, I'm terrible. Like, I need to work on this. Like, I said that, and I'm like, okay, I need to like. The self awareness piece is
1: so huge. It's it's like you know these things about yourself, but the way that it's like a almost an outside perspective telling you, and it's not somebody you know telling you. You know what I mean? It's like a piece of paper telling. That's evidence.
0: Ignore that. Right. It's like wait a second, and it sounds like you when you do it too. You're like. That is me.
1: It's it's so helpful, even like for relationships. Taking the disk, I highly recommend because um, if if let's say let's say your spouse is um I don't know what's good super anal about making sure something's done the same way every single time. Well, chances are that they're high in S, maybe even a high C. Um, if you can understand that, that's just their behavior. That's just who they are, and why. It's not personal anymore. It's not personal anymore. Exactly. That is an excellent point. So you don't have to take things personally anymore. It's
0: behavior, not something you exactly. did wrong. Or right. Yeah. Oh, that is an excellent point. Right. Yeah. What, what is your disc, by the way?
1: My disc is uh, DC.
0: DC. Okay. DC. Yeah. I was DI. And Joe was all DI, I think. Yes. 99.99. Yes. He got all the D.I. It's very <laughs> uncommon
1: for two. Most times, like you said, like you'll compliment each other, yourself and a spouse or you and a best friend, maybe even. I don't know. But definitely spouses tend to compliment each other, um, which is great. Right. That because, like I said, you need every you need it all. Um, and Joe and I are both high D's. And if we had met at this point in life with that both being those high D driven, like tsh, direct uh, might not have worked out. <laughs> but we grew up together. So a lot of our ideas about things are are right in line with each other. Um, so we're just both at Heidi and, and can do it. But it's, it's just interesting to see how the different personalities interact. For yeah, sure.
0: Gina and I, I've had to completely change the way I approach conflict. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize how bad I was at approaching conflict for what she was because I just didn't know. I didn't yeah. know. I was like, well, that was the wrong way to do it. So these tests yeah. do help some for way. Sure. And I had to completely change. And for life's sure. been a lot better since, since I did. Cause it was that you're right. There is that enormous clash um, and if you're just going through behavior, I didn't know. I, I didn't realize I was approaching it the exact opposite way I should right. have.
1: And there are conflicting uh, personality profiles. Yes. So it's helpful to know going into those situations. I just actually had a, a meeting with one of our team members today, and it was you know pretty heart to heart, whatever you want to call it. And uh, before going into it, we try to read the AVA to remind us of how that person views. Uh, coaching and, and how they best are receptive to coaching and feedback so that i'm presenting it try to present it in a way that that's going to be impactful for them instead of them seeing it as as confrontation or
0: yeah i could probably so really work on that it's pretty cool so i'm like is well, isn't this fucking done
1: <laughs> it? it works with some people like another high d would love either. it yeah but in real life to the point but others the real
0: wife that is not no. the way to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's like that's like crashing your ship on the rocks and then <laughs> coming back for more. Yeah.
1: Yep. It's
0: amazing how stupid one could be when you don't know. The cost of not knowing is high. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. so still I think we're at like two or three or four people. Um but let, let what would you do differently in the first quarter of 2015 if you had to do it over again today?
1: Well, what did I do differently in the first quarter, so
0: I know you went to hire not from desperation but yeah. from intention. Um,
1: so, do following an actual model for hiring, like the RS process for, through Keller Williams, is something we would do differently. We had just started doing that in the last handful of months. Um, second is I guess I don't know how to. So, we hired a virtual assistant in the Philippines, it was one of the things we first did when we got back from family reunion in February. Um, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar. You've done it. You've done yourself. Yeah.
0: Well, no, not Steve did it, and I worked okay. with. I've worked with several. Okay. It can be very challenging.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, you have to have your own systems and processes in a very good place before trying to bring on somebody who's working over in the Philippines, trying to work through Skype and all this stuff. And um, so I think maybe we underestimated how much uh, more work we needed to do on our systems at that point. before being able to leverage. But at the same time, you know that you need to leverage it. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe just uh, having a more solid training plan, I guess, is the best way to put it up front and um, making sure. But honestly, it just comes down to getting the right people. Because we now looking back, I totally know that the, the first vir- two virtual assistants that we had brought on weren't a, just weren't a fit, weren't the right, and they people. weren't talent. Yeah. Um, the one we have now is a rock star. So honestly, I, everything. I'm a strong believer that that a lot of things come down to people, 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 right. When it comes to business. And that's the biggest thing that I would do differently is how we hire people.
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about talent. Cause you brought it up several times and mm-hmm. alluded to it. What is the difference? So you, there's, you can hire somebody or you can get talent. What is the difference between the two? And how do you tell the difference between the two? I, I
1: wish I had brought that. Uh, there's a chart in the, the recruit select book that, that breaks it down. One of the things is like I said, the bar, right? So, Talent, you can just tell and now like I'm starting to pick up on when I have conversations with people, you can tell whether or not that person is considered talent or if some people are are uh, are cool, just like whatever, like coasting by, you know what I mean? Like they don't Mm. seem very um, to have goals. Right. So one of the differences between talent and non-talent is talent will talk about their goals. Like, you know, hey, I want to, uh, you know, in five years, I want to have my own recording studio whatever it might be. Right. They're like very focused and know what they want to get to. Maybe they like are still working on how they're going to get there, but they're talking about goals. Um, and I'm sure you can, you, you, you know, those conversations you have with people where it's like, you're on the same page. Like you're very, Oh yeah. You, it's you, not
0: very many people though. Really. Um, When it comes down to it, that maybe a dozen. Yeah. I, I know at this point, maybe a couple dozen that I would, that I feel that, that feel that way about. But I, I don't know how to describe it, but just people I want to be around, people right. people that hold me accountable, people that ask tough questions, Yeah. people who don't have a problem confronting me if they don't like what I said or thought or they disagree and they want to challenge yeah. me on something. Yeah. There's not many of those people around, I've found.
1: Right. A talent is extremely hard. They say for every hundred people that you interview to truly find top talent, you'd be um bringing in one <laughs> yeah. of those hundred and that's going through that whole process of there's three interviews, there's the disc, the AVA, the, so, um, and there's a whole other piece of RS that I didn't even talk about. Um, so it's a very lengthy par- process, but it's, it's so worth it. Like I've said, that's the one thing I would go back and change is how we're hiring people um, to, to make sure that, and it's for them really, it's for the business, but it's also for that person. Cause if you put the person in a position where they're not set up to succeed or they don't, they're not they're not talent, so they can't meet the standards of the position. They're going to be just as unhappy, also, right? So it's about the quality of life for that person too. Um, yeah. So I I think just the the hiring the hiring piece of it is is huge.
0: Mm. What has it been like for you? Because you, you've done a fair amount of hopping around. So you were at end and then I, I, I could use some advice. I have not done it as well as I can. Working with your spouse can be a very challenging thing, right? Uh, I mostly enjoy it, but Gina and I have very different communication styles. And now that I'm more aware of mm-hmm. the person I am, I can I can adjust that more. Um, and I know you guys have worked together before, but working together full time is very different. And you are, as similar as you are, you're very different people. Like, yeah. Yeah what has that been like and how, how have you managed this? Cause I want more people to work with their it's spouse. It's been
1: like a process. Yeah, This <laughs> has so been a process for sure. Uh, the student painting business when we were 18 years old, 19 years old was the first thing that we did together. Um, and we did have a lot of conflict yeah. during that, uh, because we didn't have any idea about this personality stuff or whatever. We were just 18, 19 years old. Both of us didn't have a clue really what we were doing, thought we did though. Right. And, um, So I think, I think. Um you know you're you're critical when you don't necessarily understand where somebody's coming from or why, yes, critical efforts instead of coming from a place of understanding and and trying to understand so um so we worked but we worked out through as difficult as that summer of painting was we were extremely successful um uh, we made forty five grand in a summer painting houses in damn. college like that's good money damn,
0: that's really good money <laughs> So,
1: uh, so we were successful, and I think through that first experience. I definitely realized where I needed to get stronger and that was in leadership. I was running two crews trying to, what really irked me was when they would screw up the quality on a house. like it would drive me crazy or like not show up on time or like just little things that are, you know, but, but I, I learned a lot about my leadership where I had a lot of opportunity to grow from that experience. Um, but Joe and I really started to, I think, solid, um, to figure out what our, each of our roles were and where our strengths were. And then from that, we went on and we did the gold business was the next business I was involved with him in. He had a clothing brand in between there, but um, he and I was the gold business. And so we kind of just like reassumed those positions that have somewhat worked because that's naturally what we each liked to do and where we gravitated towards. Um Again, had some conflicts, but started to work it out more. A lot of it's the maturity piece at that age. You're not very mature. <laughs> <I'm> not <laughs> you sure think you are. I am now. You think you are, but you, you don't really understand a lot of things. And then I think our, um, we just continue to build on communication. Communication is so huge. If you can just, um, try to talk through not like the feeling like type stuff necessarily, but just communicating when there's an issue or when you disagree about something and then listening to the other person, right? So we've done a lot of work on a lot of that stuff. And um, and now it's like, you're talking about staying in your own lane. That's, I mean, yeah, we work together all day, every day. Um, now we're in different parts of the office. We used to be like literally in a bedroom in our house, back to back, and we had a blast. We had a lot of fun when it was just he and I working together. Um, but we try to stay in our own lane because I'm more suited to answer questions from our team or deal with issues in terms of operation side. And he's much more suited to do the same on the sales side. So the minute we, where we start, if there's conflict that comes up, it's typically from him going over there or me going over into sales. You know what I mean? So we try to just stay in our lane, stay at what we're good at and go and uh yeah just have those roles it's just like marriage kind of if you think about it
0: know what you suck at know what you're good at
1: yeah And, and in marriage though you you have like responsibilities right like somebody takes out the trash absolutely somebody else feeds the dogs yeah so it's kind of just learning what those roles and responsibilities are going to look like in business it's kind of the same thing as like you do in marriage
0: how do you enforce that um with your team members
1: In terms of like who to go to for stuff, or well, yeah,
0: I mean, let's say they have a lane to stay in, they start crossing over into other lanes, they start people people do people things, yeah, for sure. You guys are the leaders. How do you address the or maybe they're not performing as well as they could, right? Um, how do you address that in a, in a, cause I'm interested in this cause I, yeah. these are things I suck at. So I want to be better at them and I, I want to know, and I'm interested in so how you do this. We have a
1: policy now with our team where if anybody, we have set dialing times, right? So our, our guys are calling out from nine to 1130 certain days of the week. Um, so we have set policies now. Where if uh, if somebody's not dialing and they're supposed to be dialing in their time, or they start to ask somebody questions, but that person's in their time block time, um, turn around to say, "Dude, I'm in I'm in my like I'm in my time block right now. I'll answer you later." Or, "Hey, why aren't you dialing? Like you're supposed to be dialing right now. Get on your we've we've come we've all allowed each other and given permission to each other to hold each other accountable. If that makes sense, without
0: getting butt hurt.
1: Yeah. What do you do? What do you do
0: if somebody breaks the rules and gets butt hurt? I'm just curious because
1: uh I don't know. We honestly just from a cultural standpoint try to set up front and have like be pretty direct about it that there's no baggage allowed inside you like inside these walls. All right. When we come in here, we come in here to bust ass as a team and we leave the drama and the bullshit out. Mm. And uh there's no like you gotta have I mean, we all joke around with each other. You gotta have relatively thick skin to have some of the personalities oh, yeah. that we have in our group, right? <laughs> so um I, I mean, I think it's just,
0: I'm thinking more like a rhino skin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't, we can't, we always say we don't take ourselves too seriously, right? Yes, absolutely. So you gotta have fun. You gotta be professional always and give the absolute best client service, but you can't take yourself too seriously. So, um, so yeah, I think we, we help try to hold each other accountable. It's been a big, big help for people staying in their own lane. Yeah.
0: How do you, you've mentioned it several times. You built a culture. How did you build a culture and how do you, how do you maintain it?
1: That's like hard there's like a there's not like a science right or like a a, a, um, a book that you can read that says here's how to build a culture <laughs> there's a lot of research that's been done about it I know a lot of people study quick and loans for example in terms of how to build a culture because how do you get all these people to want to work yes. for you and work 80 hours a week right exactly you human, must have culture
0: yes something has to be overriding and that's why I'm intensely interested how do you manage you I got think, 15 people doing yeah. what you want to do and that's How did you do that?
1: A big piece of it, I think, is being transparent. We're extremely open book. Um, If people ask us a question about why or what or how we're doing something, we'll be very open with people and telling why. And that's something I think if you can have confidence in your leadership that um, they're going to make the right decisions for the team or that they're going to be transparent and honest, then I think you're much more willing to be open and following that person. Also, so I think we have a, a definitely a culture of of transparency. That's an
0: excellent point. I I finished, it's very on topic for in my head because I finished reading um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And it's funny you, you said that because that was actually one of the things they said. So just it hit me. So if, if you're listening and you want more on this, you know, go read that book. When, when you what's said it that, what's the book called? Uh, Extreme Ownership.
1: Extreme Ownership.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, Jaco Willink. He also has a podcast, a Jaco podcast, um, and Leaf Babin. I hope I'm saying their names right. I, <laughs> I haven't heard it said out loud, so if I if I apologize if I mispronounced it or or whatever. But I just think it's interesting you said that because that that just like oh that that's a the principle they talked about in that transparency
1: book, so. and then I think leading by example. Right? Yeah. What
0: is your why? If they, if you have a good enough why and you can explain why to them, then yeah. and if it makes sense to them, they will do it. Right.
1: And neither Joe or I will ever ask anybody to do anything that we aren't ourselves willing to do. Yes. Um, And I think that, I think that just helps create again, that like open door policy type of culture hierarchy out the door. Like, of course, sometimes you need, I mean, you have to do something because, you know what I mean? But you try for the most part to get rid of all that crap, that bureaucracy, right? All that stuff and just get the job, get shit done.
0: Yeah, you got to get shit done.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the transparency is huge. And I think uh, leading by, trying to lead by example.
0: Have you had to fire anybody? We have. Okay. That's the nasty part. How do you make this? And obviously don't tell me who or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Don't anybody yet. It doesn't matter who it was or or how did you come to the decision that that was something you needed to do? Yeah, because I imagine if somebody wants to go out and build this team, they're going to have to be comfortable doing this and making the decision. So right. how did you make the decision? And then how did you actually do it?
1: It's hard. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. Um, and I had my first experiences with it back at GE, um, and it sucked then as well.
0: Yeah. You. How many people have you hired and fired before? I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> I know I just asked you a question and interrupt you to ask another question. I should
1: no. I should know the number. I don't know the number. There's like certain hires and certain people I had to let go that stick out in my mind very, very, like it was yesterday, right? Yeah. Still hurt or still are just like, oh, could I have done anything differently to prevent that from happening? Um, But I think you have to always keep in mind what you have to do for the business, right? So. Uh, feel a lot of responsibility in making sure that our business stays profitable and continues to grow because there's 15 people that are counting on our business for their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I think ultimately you have to put the team and the business ahead of personal feelings, um, and make sure that you're keeping that on track. It's really hard, right? It's like, you don't, you don't want to be a, it's not like a robot. No. <laughs> but you really do have to think about the company. Um, and if you can find, if the person's talent, if you can find another position on the team that makes sense for them, awesome. If they're talent and it's a fit and you have a need for that position. But ultimately, otherwise, if the if the job's not getting done or there's issues, if there's ever any kind of integrity issues, easy, right? You're gone. See. Yeah. But criminals,
0: bye bye. <laughs> but for the ones who just it's aren't like, performing.
1: Right. If it's just a performance thing.
0: Especially the ones you like.
1: Yeah. How many yeah.
0: You, how many of those have you had to do? Is there quite a few of them you really like? Not a did?
1: ton. Okay. Not a ton, but some. Um, uh, I think you, to me, it's important when you run into situations like that, that you're direct with the person. You owe it to, you owe it to that person, that team member, to be direct with them and letting them know where they're falling short of the bar. And then have a conversation on whether or not they agree that the bar is where the bar is and they agree that that's what they need to be doing. So if you can get on the same page. You can have that conversation a heart to heart and get on the same page in terms of what needs to be done. Then give it, a, you know, a 90 days or a 30 days and reevaluate. And hopefully that person's getting back on track. But if they're not, then you've been very clear in setting out the expectation. You've been very clear in, in giving them another chance Or another expectation of follow up in 30 days to make sure these things are now back on track. So you've given them multiple opportunities.
0: They know it's coming,
1: and they know it's. And then it's like, all right, it's just not a fit. Like let's you know, kind of go our separate ways. Gary Keller says, be uh, slow to hire, quick to fire. And it's so true. You, you have to be especially like feeling about the growth of the business within the last 11 months, 12 months, whatever yeah. it is. Like if you take six months to get rid of a bad hire, you've shot yourself in the foot. Oh, yeah. And that can cost that you a whole year,
0: right? Just. Whew.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's a, so that's a good point. You set the expectation and they have multiple opportunities to correct mm-hmm. the the behavior, the performance or whatever it is. So by the time it comes. It's not a surprise to anybody. They knew it was coming. that's Um, the
1: worst. You know, if you're surprised by something like, oh, I hadn't, like, that's the worst that could ever happen is you walk in and say you have to let somebody go and they had no idea why they weren't performing and they thought they were performing. You know what I mean? I would never want to get in that situation. So we try to do a good job of of laying out, here's the expectation for the position, here's how you're doing, and so this is the gap, and here's the plan on how, you know, let's come up with a plan together on how we need to fix that and let's reevaluate it and so then it's a process some, get it's some, some buy
0: in to too so they mm-hmm. have some input on how to get right. better too okay Has the firing having gone through all that the firing the letting go the reevaluation has it gone smoothly or were people still surprised cuz i know there was a maybe a period of my life where i didn't want to see what was actually happening right uh, uh, thankfully that's not now but
1: yeah i think if you keep the the line of communication open we also do weekly cash talks with our team members at Cash Talk. can't even remember what the acronym stands for, but basically um, they fill out a, a worksheet every week and send it to you. And it's like, what did I learn this week? Where do I still need some more help this week? It's like, how are things going? Basically, mm. if you have, if you schedule that time, so you're having a conversation weekly, you're never going to get so far from that person that there's that big of a disconnect in terms of where things are. So you you can correct anything that's slightly off.
0: So your feedback loop is actually weekly. Quickly, yeah. yeah. so you're like, okay, so you're not allowing more than seven days to pass before...
1: You just address it and...
0: And is the feedback two directions too? Two directions, okay. absolutely. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's how can I help you and all right, these are the you know these are the things that i think you're doing awesome on great job keep them up and these are a couple of things i think we need to tweak a little bit mm. and here you know let's talk about how we can tweak them mm.
0: and you had to do all this at ge too right kind of similar similar not similar. not exactly the same
1: but i really really love the tools that that we've learned like the cash worksheet and the, the rs process so we're using with kw i love it
0: yeah you have mentioned how much you like the the kw training um What particular, and if you can hear the baby crying in the background, (laughs) we are at alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. You can go to the website, alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. We are currently at the physical location, conveniently located on Grand River, on the north side of Grand River, between Southfield and Evergreen. And we are recording here because they have a conference room that they graciously allow me to use for free. All I have to do is purchase some coffee, which I'm happy to do. (laughs) So there is a baby, and this is not a soundproof room, and (laughs) life happens. So I apologize for hearing it, but hey. We're getting some good shit done here, and uh, uh, I hope it's not too bad, and I hope maybe it gets cleaned out. Maybe they won't even hear it in post-production. Sometimes it it does um, get get cleared out. So I apologize for that. In the meantime, go to alwaysbrewingdetroit.com and maybe think about stopping by for some coffee. I like Amanda, (laughs) and I want the shop to exist. What was some of the training that – there's a Because you you could have gone with anybody, right? There's a lot right. of, there's Kelly Williams, REMAX, Berkshire Hathaway, mm-hmm. Real Estate One. I could do this all day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, YKW.
1: So I think it comes back to not reinventing the wheel, right? So we looked at who are the top agents in in the area, in the country, um, and who are they with? Well, most of the top agents are with Keller Williams. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? So you start
0: with the end in mind. Yeah. Okay.
1: Right. So yeah, exactly. So that's where we, we want to go. We want to grow this business as big as it can be, um, to give our team the opportunity to get as big as they want to be within it. And so who's doing that already? And we looked at them and said, okay, so why are all of these, these people with Keller Williams? Um, and, and then we were introduced. They were recruiting us and, uh, we had the opportunity to go to that family reunion event and that's that's all training so like these breakout sessions there'll be like 12 different hour hour and a half sessions you choose from every slot of the day that um, every breakout session slot of the day and there's like four a day so you're going to four of these masterminds where you're talking with 60 100 200 million dollar producers um just picking their brain on stuff. It's phenomenal. Like it's like mastermind on steroids (laughs) and you pick what topic of, of a mastermind you want to go to. So it's immediately applicable to your business and just getting that first sense in the, in the culture of KW in general, it's very much open book between people. Um, I think the analogy that we got was uh joe got actually talking with jim shaper when we were down there was you know everybody or you know i have a hand down helping those who are like looking to get to my production level i have a hand down helping them up the ladder and then i have a hand up to those guys that are doubling my production trying to reach for them and they have a hand down helping me mm. and it's very much the culture of keller williams is open book if if anybody wants any of our stuff in terms of our hiring process or our um uh, how we track our production, or systems, processes, any of that stuff, they just ask us and we give it to them. Mm. And that's exactly how we were welcomed to Keller Williams too. And And you would think like, whoa, whoa, wait, this is a very competitive industry in real estate. Why would you just give away all this stuff? 99.999% of the people are not going to do shit yeah, with the stuff you give shit. them. So yeah, yeah. it um, it really, um, why would you not? By giving that, that information to others, hopefully you're going to help bring the level of the whole entire industry up, which is going to make us better too. So um, that was something we really took away from, from the, going to that training, uh, the, the family reunion event, um, but stuff like that. Like the culture was a great fit. Um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel with everything. Some smaller brokerages. If you talk about a team, they're like, what, what's a team? Like we only have individual agents here. That's so
0: strange, no teams. No. See, I don't no. know enough about being a real estate agent yet yeah. to even, I That's didn't know. Not I just, the norm. I've only known really more top producing kind of people and agents. And I guess most of them have teams. Right,
1: right. And so it's not the norm at all. Um, So you can either go to a company that's built the team concept. Gary Keller is a genius, in in my opinion, at least. um, Or you can try to maybe become the first team ever with ABCY brokerage. So so that's kind of what some of the things that played into our decision.
0: All right, we're back. I had to pause for a uh, potty break, so I did the best I could as long as I could. Um, what great achievement, right? So now, now we're in 2016. What are your current goals? Where are you, what are you guys currently working on, and what are you pushing towards in 2016? And what do you think you need to do differently to accomplish those goals? You guys have a very large appetite for for accomplishment. And success and drive. So, what does that look like?
1: People. <laughs> people. <laughs> so, that's why I've alluded to that so many times in, in our conversation so far. Um, so, to sell 675 houses, um, you need a lot of people, and we have, we're, Blessed and grateful for all of the referrals that we receive, friends, family, allied resources that we have relationships with. We have so much business right now. We need like double the agents. Um, So people is by far both of our number one thing. If you've read the book, The One Thing.
0: The One Thing. I love the book. It's
1: a great book. So that's our one thing right now. My one thing is people for the operations side. Oh, and I'm having a baby in less than three months, so <laughs> really need people, stuff, right? <laughs> really need people and systems, um, to be fully functional before that time, because, um, you know I'll, I'll always be in involved, but I'm sure there's going to be probably a, a month or three months or whatever that it's like, okay, baby, <laughs> baby's basically
0: a <laughs> monster big. you have to take care of for the first so, year. Yeah, it's. And I want to um, do that right. It's very yeah.
1: important to me to do that right. So, um, You're here.
0: here. I wish more people would do that and think about that and say, "I just have a baby; it'll be fine." Yeah.
1: No, <laughs> trying to do it right, as yeah. best you can. Um, so, people in uh, on the sales side, it's um, Joe's working real hard right now on trying to find more top agents to bring into our team, um, more ISAs inside sales agents, outside, excuse me, outside sales agents to bring on to our team to continue to grow and give out those opportunities to people. And then I'm working on the ops side. Um, we're bringing in a client care specialist who's going to help nurture the relationships that we have with our our database and our close clients and um, and bring on one more assistant transaction coordinator to support operations side as well. So Mm. people is the name of the game right now. That and expansion into California like we talked about.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I want to talk about this. So you're not even satisfied with dominating the Metro Detroit market. You're like, huh, California. (laughs) I'm sure there's a reason why California.
1: Uh, So the why is – A few fold. Um, first, one of our, one of our great agents, um, is his wife got a job out there. And so he was going to be going with her. And he's like, you know, I'd really, you know, like to do this, the same kind of setup, the same kind of real estate thing with you guys out there. What do you think about that? Took Joe about three seconds. Yes. I was like, Yes. (laughs) Yes exactly so uh, so it was you know just something that we knew we wanted to do. do we think it was going to be right now, right when we're having a baby and right when we're having all this crazy growth here and all this other stuff no uh, but you don't pick the time I think when opportunity comes to you, you just either go for it or or regret it for not going for it right that's So a,
0: well, hold on, that's a good point. The cost of not seizing an opportunity, whether it's a good time or not, can oftentimes be regret right mm-hmm. you think about how am i going to get it done but then it's Figure i like it how, i like how you turn it around what am i going to lose if i don't do it mm-hmm. that's an excellent point because sometimes it could be hard to take that step because yeah i'm sure it's intimidating you've just created an enormous business and i know it's a monster and it gets away and you got to rein it back in and you're going to have a baby and you're going to expand the california <laughs> right? right that's not the necessarily <laughs> if you were to plan it out how you would do it but no. that's how the opportunity rose right. so Deal with it, right?
1: Right. And uh, when you have talent in your organization and and the expansion model is something that Keller Williams is really starting to uh, develop and get models and systems in place for. And when the right opportunity comes across, you have the right person to go do that with, you do it. And it's not like you force it. Oh, we want to go to California because a price point. No, we want to go to California because one of our top agents is moving there. You oh, know, by the way, it's the same area that we lived in for three years. So we do have some sphere and we know the area very well. So it's a combination of those things coming together. It's let's do it.
0: So the right person, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's an excellent point. You keep coming back to people the right person and it just happened to be California and what you already knew, It probably wouldn't matter if it was Minnesota. You, would you have said yes?
1: We would. So we do a little bit of, it's gotta be the right person. And the, the market has to, to support the expansion also in terms of, um, well, like you can do it anywhere. Yes. But there has to be houses to sell. Yes.
0: <laughs> so not on the boondocks. But, um,
1: right? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and then, and then we do market research too. So, okay. So we're going to go to Southern California, Orange County, which neighborhoods specifically are we going to start targeting? Um, so now we're doing a lot of research in terms of where the turnover rates are. Uh, we're doing research in terms of who dominates, which markets, a lot of it's gated communities out there. So you can't go door knock door knocking is a great source of, of getting, um, clients out there. Uh, we can't necessarily do that in all neighborhoods. So we're starting to really learn the geographics of it too.
0: Mm what numbers do you guys track this is very important and and maybe not all of them um but what do you think are the most important number the actionable numbers to track i think feet this is where the big mistakes i'm asking this question because i'm intensely interested but also one of the biggest mistakes i made for so many years was i wasn't tracking anything at first and then Mm -hmm. i was tracking the wrong shit Mm -hmm. and it's hard to get the results you want when you, you don't have like if you want to lose weight sure. you got to weigh yourself every week right. or you don't know right so so what numbers do you yeah. track in your business that are important in your business
1: I love numbers <laughs> I know you do <laughs> so you can, I I'm strongly you can't get where you want to go if you don't know where you're at yes. where you started or what kind of movement you're making one way or the other um, so in terms of numbers very important to track uh, appointments. Um Appointments generated, so that could be an, a listing appointment or a, a buyer consultation. Um, appointments ultimately are going to lead to signed listing contracts or signed buyer exclusives, which are going to ultimately lead to offers, which are going to lead to under contract, which are going to lead to closed sales, right? And each one of those pieces, between those are basically the, the, the things that we measure. And then between those pieces, it's all it comes down to conversion rates. So how much are you converting from the number of appointments set which one how much of those are you actually going on? So you need to have a goal for appointments set, appointments that you actually completed, um, then your listing contracts that you actually signed from those appointments, what's your conversion rate there? Um, from let's flip to buyer side then. Um so you have an exclusive agreement in place with the buyer. Um you need to get an offer out for those per, that person, right? So, what's our conversion rate from people that are exclusively working with us as their buyer's agent to placing an offer, and then from placing the offer to an accepted offer, an accepted offer to close? Because just because you get under, under contract, majority will close, right? And we but not all of them, but not all of them for yeah. this, that, or the other inspection, appraisal, whatever it might be. So, um, the way that you know we talked in the beginning about having a plan to support a goal, or else it's just a dream. So then from the conversion rates, you work your way down. Well, how many appointments do we have to have every week to be able to have X number of closings every month to be able to do 675 transactions Working in a year?
0: backwards then. Right? Exactly. Okay.
1: Yeah. And you can't, you wouldn't know how to do that. If you don't, you have to start, like you said, just tracking stuff. (laughs) You got to start getting the information and then you can tweak it. Um, But until you start getting the information, how could you ever know what your conversion rate is?
0: That's true. You got to start somewhere. So it's actually very similar to the investor side, by the way. So I track new prospecting calls, uh, the number of appointments I set, the number of offers I make, the number of PAs I get signed and the number of closings I get. So it, Incredibly similar. Yep. Yeah, right.
1: we track our dials also. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, well, I see, I, I don't track my dials. I just track my new prospecting calls. So if I'm not doing, if it's not a new prospect, I don't track it. I don't know if that's a right or okay. wrong thing. I just we haven't. Collect,
1: Yeah, we do new clients also. So it's yeah. like, how many people are we adding to our database as a new prospect? And then, Um and then from our like our farming and we're doing like neighborhood dialing. So we'll track how many dials did you get in an hour. It's you know, a piece of it's like um productivity and efficiency and things like that. Um but we also want to know, okay, if we spend eight hours of dial time, how many appointments is that going to lead to? How many should it lead to? And are we meeting that? And if we're not, maybe there's some coaching or training or maybe we need to change some scripts, things like that. Um so That's one thing
0: I I I think I think I'm See that's why I'm glad I asked these questions because I hadn't thought about it in this way. That's one thing that's really different from the investor side than it is from the real estate agent side. Our sales cycle is much shorter on our side. We are not projecting even I would say 90 days mm-hmm. into the future and you brought up a good point is you need to put people in the system because you are trying to do top of mind stuff how far out, do you think you're trying to get somebody before the sale actually happens? We,
1: we call a nurture up to two years. Yeah, so that's we'll, a big difference. Yeah, we'll nurture anything up to two years out. Um, if if they, we give them a cold call and they say, "Hey, no, I'm not looking to buy right now," you know, maybe in a couple of years, cool. We'll f- we'll set a drip campaign. We'll send you our newsletter every month, so we're getting in front of mind, like you said. Um, and you're going to see us, and you're going to be very familiar with what we do and who we are and what we're all about. So that by the time that you do go to sell, when you think somebody asks you, Hey, who do you know that's in real estate? Boom. Oh, these guys, they, they reach out to me like quarterly or whatever it might be. So
0: that is okay. So this is, I'm very interested in this. I think this is what, what's attracting me to it a little bit too, is it's kind of, it is like farming.
1: It is farming. It's like fishing, farming. Yeah.
0: And you have to think not just in days or weeks, but you're thinking in seasons and cycles. And so up to two years. So you have, that's one pool that you're marketing to No. Normally in a real estate investor business, no means no and it's gone. Yeah, there might be some email follow ups. Mm-hmm. Have you sold your property yet? But in our cycle, you, you, you sell it or you don't and mm-hmm. it gets sold or goes away or gets taken to tax auction. So right. that, that doesn't exist for us. Right. What are the different marketing pools? So you go nurture up to two years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You cold call neighborhoods. What are your marketing strategies? Uh, and how do you, how do you put them in that, that funnel?
1: Um, so you can break it down into classification would be like a, an a client, a B client, a C client. Okay. Um, so if you do like C's are anybody who's looking to buy in the next year to two years, uh, or, or more than a year, but within two years, um, B's would be maybe something like people who are looking to take some kind of action, buy or sell within, um, you know, greater than 90 days, like probably the next season. Right. So a lot of people like, Hey, springtime, springtime, um, Uh, That's what a lot of people are saying right now, of course, right? But really, if you can do it earlier, it's better. But um, but anyways, so I was saying in springtime. Um, so then that would be like a bucket B, and then the A's are like, yeah, come list me. Like I want to do this now. I need to sell in the next ten days. I need to whatever it might be. So
0: So kind of classify them. That is all the attention is paid to A out there. Almost all of it. A few like Alan Daniels has – but I'm not sure how sophisticated it is. It's the
1: same in retail though. I feel like most agents only concentrate on those A's, the now-today business, and they don't cultivate those relationships with the B's and the C's. So then that stuff just goes to other agents down the road. But if you can capture it now – you get ahead of people going on Zillow's estimates and all this other crazy stuff that doesn't do them any good. Um, and you're actually being their consultant and advising them for that two year period until they go to sell. I mean, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. You you don't probably don't lose too many if you nurture them that long too. Right. Add value contributions. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have a, um, a significant referral business. And also I've seen that you and Joe focus heavily on reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you do that and why and how do you actually implement it and follow up on it? Cause I know Joe talked to me a little bit about yeah.
1: this, but. Like, so reviews um, we've, we've worked really hard on Zillow and getting our Zillow profile up to uh, where it's at now over the last couple of months specifically. Um, so we have our agents talk with people, basically make a promise. If I can deliver X, Y, and Z for you um, in return, you know, I want you to be a, So comfortable working with me that you would refer your friends and family to you. If I can deliver A, B, and C to you, can I count on you for the last part to refer somebody to me? Type of commitment. So you set the
0: expectation up front. If Mm -hmm. I do a great job for you and I accomplish these things which are important to you, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, will you give me a review and refer your closest friends and families to me to do business with? And that's happening right up front.
1: Yep. So okay. that's part of like that initial conversation that they have. And it lets the client know that, Hey, I'm going to work my tail off for you and I'm going to deliver X, Y, and Z. And then just put that little seed in the back of the mind, but like, I Hey, I can something. help other people too. Yeah. and. And yeah, I kind of said that. And it's this, we talked about sales and training and things like that. Exactly the same type of thing that I learned at quick loans. Um, so sales is sales, right. And yeah. that whole follow up process. But so yeah, we do that. And then, uh, when people are, are closing on their home or when they get their clear to close, you know, clear to close is some of the greatest words ever. Yeah. <laughs> people are excited it before it falls apart. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're in a great place, right? Everybody's super excited. It's emotional. It's great. So that's another great time to really ask for a referral and say, you know, who else do you know? This has been a pleasure are working with you who else do you know that's looking to you know buy or sell or maybe just has some questions about real estate um and and ask him for referrals then and then uh, we ask him to do the zillow review and fill that out and we're going to start expanding to, to some other places for reviews too but um but yeah it's huge because statistics say that people are i think it's like 10 or 100 times who knows more likely to trust the referrals of strangers than they are referrals from somebody they know.
0: That is amazing or recommendations, to me. I should say. That is just absolutely amazing. It's mind to blowing, me. right? I would not do that. I would go, Renee, I need such and such who and I would do it. I, I think would it's not the quantity. The
1: so I thought a lot about that too, because I was I was it's like, astounding eh. to me. But the quantity I think is what makes the difference. So if you go on Amazon, love Amazon, That's why do point. I love Amazon? Because there's 1, thousand fifteen hundred people that review this product and said it's five stars. I'm gonna buy that. I don't even care what it is. That's (laughs) an excellent point. I hadn't
0: thought about that. Versus
1: going to like a store and somebody's like, Oh yeah, I really like like baby stuff, right? Everybody's giving me advice, maybe baby stuff right now. I really like these zipper ups by blah, blah, blah. Like buy one of those. Like that's one person and I really value and I appreciate you letting me know your recommendation. But fifteen hundred people said to buy something else, chances are I'm probably gonna go with the fifteen hundred people. So I think it's a quantity.
0: Okay. So yeah, it doesn't help to have three up on Zillow. If you're going to do that, commit to really putting up every review you possibly can. Right. Yeah. Yep. What do you do when somebody gives you a one star? I'm not sure if it's happened
1: or not. Not I would. Uh, Like like I said, our whole... Businesses founded on client service are so important. It's the most important thing to us, making sure you get your house and that you're happy throughout the process, as happy as can be. There's so much that goes on in real estate, there's so much opportunity for things to get off track. Like, it's a difficult transaction.
0: Yeah, very difficult. <laughs>
1: so, we want, but we want to make sure that people are, we foreshadow to people and let them know what's coming next. People are so much more comfortable when you do that and they have a better experience. So, um, we haven't had any one or two stars. The lowest, I believe, we've had is four stars. So, um, some people just never will give you five (laughs) and that's okay. That's okay. We're human. Like we're not perfect. We have a lot of areas of the business that we're still working on improving and we take client feedback very, very, very seriously. Uh, If we ever get any kind of feedback, we research it to see what the situation was. And then we look at our process and we say, how can we improve our process to make sure this never happens again? Mm -hmm. We've, we've gotten such great feedback from clients, um, about little ways that we can tweak things and we've tweaked it and it's been awesome. That's
0: huh. an extreme ownership too. This is just really on my mind because I, I finished reading it and listening to it, and and he said the same thing. So take take ownership of it. It's not their fault. It's your fault. Yeah. What do we do wrong? Absolutely. And what can we do better to make not not happen in the future?
1: Absolutely.
0: Also, you do enough of these podcasts and read enough of these books, you start to see patterns. So I'm saying this as much for me as for for everybody else. I just keep seeing these patterns with people that are doing things um, well. How do you um, motivate your team members?
1: motivation. So motivation is interesting. We were reading, what were we reading? We do a, a weekly book club with the team, which is really cool. And we read Growth Hacker. I'm not sure if you've heard of Growth I've Hacker. I've never heard of Growth Hacker. It's pretty yeah. cool. It's like a whole different way of thinking about marketing. Um, And then we're reading Millionaire Real Estate Agent right now, which is my favorite book. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> love it. Uh, but anyways, uh, in terms of motivation, so everybody is driven by something internally. It's hard to... You can um you can not motivate what's the other word you can inspire somebody but I don't know that you can actually most motivation comes from within okay. not from outside sources so you can inspire people but what we do upfront with with everybody when they join our team is they bring a vision board and on the vision board it has hey um, what do you want to accomplish for the next year for the next 5 years what are your goals like what those are your internal drivers right if you-
0: Crap! Batteries died. I can't remember where exactly. I don't know. I think we maybe missed thirty seconds, but we're talking about a chapter a week
1: book club. Chapter week book club. Yes. Okay.
0: Who picks? To, who reads the book? So do you vote or?
1: Um. So so far it's been um. Joe just just on social media or wherever picking up. You know, you dropped one today. Extreme ownership. So, you know, kind of getting all these recommendations from people and then sourcing out what's applicable to the team at the time. And then, but yeah, maybe we'll start kind of sourcing it around or whatever. But yeah, we did a growth hacker, which is, like I said, a new way of thinking about marketing. Super cool. Like grassroots, like get in where the, um, get where your audience is. Um, whether like if it's a skateboarding, something you want to launch, get in those social media groups Right and find a way to be unique in that, and just see it explode. It talks about like Dropbox and a lot of the the companies how they had just crazy uh, Airbnb, um, all that stuff. So it was really cool. And then highly recommend it. Really short, quick read. And then now we're doing Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Yeah. So
0: I need to read that one. I love the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Yeah. That's one of those books that when I read it it was after <laughs> I'd been doing it for I think it was four years. I. It was one of those books where. You knew it was right because I learned the lessons the hard way, <laughs> and as I got mad, I was like, where the fuck was this book five or five <laughs> years ago? I was like, oh, I could have, like 90% of my mistakes would have been missed. So It's
1: pretty awesome.
0: Generally, awesome. if Gary Keller wrote a book, I don't care what you think about the person to read it. There's a lot of good, actionable stuff in there.
1: See, seriously, just, what he does to, to write those books is he gets the best in the business together for a mastermind picks their brains and puts it into a book. Yeah. That's so not a cool. bad way to write a book. No. So cool.
0: Yeah. So moving on to the next section. Since we're talking about books, that's my favorite part. I like this is the part where I open up. What are the books, the podcasts, the YouTube videos, the movies, the blogs, whatever, the trainings and or success routines and habits. That have had the greatest effect on you, that you've learned the most from. However, you want to to sure. to rate it. I'm, I'm always intentionally interested in what other successful people yeah. are reading and learning, and how they're going about doing it.
1: So start with books. Um, millionaire Real Estate Agent by far, um, because no matter what stage you're at in building or starting a real estate career, it's applicable. Yeah. Um, and you take away, I think. I've read it seven or eight times. I think Joe's read it the same. You take away different things from it every time you read it. Uh, what Joe always says is um, the teacher will arrive when the student is present or something like that, or ready. The student is ready. How's that go?
0: That makes sense. I've had to. Uh, I don't know exactly how it goes, but I've had to do the the same mistake a couple times so I got it. <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but it yeah. is a fact. Apparently, I didn't yeah. get it the first couple of times, and I right. had to repeat it. So. Right.
1: And then when you're ready, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm. I'm at this point.
0: It was obvious and painful. Right. So was almost embarrassing. Like really that simple. Yes. Yeah. I just wasn't ready.
1: Right. So, um, so yeah, I love me real estate agent. It's broken down into sections so you can read whatever's applicable at that point. Um, bossy pants was a book I read a while ago about Tina, uh, by Tina Fey. It's just funny. Like it's something like lighthearted, um, that sticks with me as being a good read. Um, TV shows, the Prophet? We watch The Prophet. You watch The Prophet at all? No TV. None. Okay. Yeah. So The Prophet is Marcus Limonis. He's I follow uh, him on Facebook. Okay, it's him. Okay, it's so he has show. a TV show. Yeah. All
0: right, it makes sense and now.
1: Show's pretty awesome. So he goes in um, businesses that are struggling. He goes in and and looks at their people, product, and processes, or his big three Ps. Right. I don't know if he talks about that and where where you've seen him, but um, and says you know how can we fix this business basically and becomes an investor with the business and helps it grow. But he's looking at things that are like so applicable, like return on investment and just business stuff. Um, so we really like, and it's, you know, it's all about the, the people and learning about their business. And it's just really cool to see how other businesses operate. Um, so I really like the profit. There's
0: some interesting ones too, right? There are. Yes. Especially what not to do.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, um, I'd say like from a, we don't watch that much TV, but I'd say from a TV standpoint, that's, that's been pretty cool to watch. Um, and yeah, book-wise. Uh, Winning by Jack Welch is another one that I read. Growth Hacker, like I said, I think is a real real good if you're looking to see how you can get more in front of your target audience um, and get real um, intentional about how you're marketing and doing your marketing. I think Growth Hacker is a great read also. Hmm. How the do one you- thing we talked about. Oh, also. yeah, the
0: one thing. Yeah.
1: The the big thing that stuck out to me, and we've been having a lot of conversations about recently too, is in the one thing it talks about multitasking, right? So everybody thinks multitasking is like this awesome skill, like I got to get better at multitasking. No, (laughs) shut it down. Explains why I could never do
0: it. Shit doesn't exist. Right. I tried for many years. (laughs)
1: Why
0: why can't I do multiple things at once? I can't.
1: Oh, I only have one brain. That's right.
0: Turns out you can't. All (laughs) you can do is divide your attention. That's sometimes a good thing. Not usually, though. It's
1: really cool. Just the power of the brain when you focus it in yeah it's pretty cool
0: that's an excellent point can't divide your attention any success habit i'm I'm interested in just the stream the absolute stream of accomplishment and quite frankly just sweat and perseverance and excellence Do you just do it or, or are there anything is there anything you do that helps you do it or I think I some keystone yeah, habits that I affect think, other habits I
1: think I have a almost oCD habit of looking at the numbers of the business Mm. and setting goals and seeing where we're at to the goal and then trying to adjust or improve or tweak where we need to, to get back on track to the goal. Um, So yeah, I'm literally pretty obsessive about goals and, um, and that plan against the goal and where we're, yeah, kind of where we're at um
0: And you've done that from yeah. college, high school, just constantly. Oh, this is what I want to do. This is where I'm at. What do I need to change? Because I'm not time. doing Okay.
1: Yeah. That does a really take
0: a lot of. I haven't been doing this for very long. I know it's embarrassing to say that. I've been doing it for like nine months. It does work, though.
1: Yeah.
0: I will say, if you start tracking, you will get better results quickly. So. For sure. For I'm sure. not proud of the fact that I didn't track folks. I don't think it's a good idea. I think you should definitely track. I'm just being honest about Tr- when I started doing track it.
1: it. Even just knowing, like, Like, you know, when you're doing an interview, right? Somebody's like, oh, where do you want to be in five years? And it seems like such a, like, maybe not a very important question, but it actually is super important because if you can get intentional, if you, if you can get more self-aware and understand where you really, really at the core of yourself want to be in five years and then put a plan in place on how you're going to get there and then keep reflecting, right? And self-assessing it, incremental steps, monthly, quarterly, yearly, whatever. Um, So, I don't know. I just love it. I didn't even...
0: That podcast, the fifth podcast I did with Steve and Joe, he brought the same thing. He said living an intentional life, which is not something I had thought about until then. I'd been in a nasty habit of just reacting and letting life come to me for, for several years. So that that actually that was just another reason why I do the podcast. That was really helpful for me. And since then, i completely changed how I think about it and move towards life and make it what I want instead mm-hmm. of just letting it happen to mm-hmm. me. And like I can say from personal experience, it's it's really easy to just let life happen to you, right. and it's actually a tragedy because I I burned three and a half years, like literally, just like a match. Shh, just let life happen. I reacted to everything that was happening, and that was the exact opposite of what I needed to do. So, don't do that, folks. Be intentional. She she makes an excellent point. Is there? Any other one
1: other thing that um, I've tried and we've tried to do is surround ourselves with um, extremely high talent and, and high performers um, in whatever we set out to do. And I did that early on. You know, you're asking what kind of things that I've done. Um, I did that early on, too. And I talked about being at General Electric and wanting to be paired up with a leader that believed in cultivating and growing people. Um, if I surrounded myself and the, what is it, something about the crowd you hang out with, your your five closest friends or your...
0: Yeah, like your that? top your, the five people you hang out with the most is your net worth or something something, something like that. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: totally true because if you surround yourself with people who are constantly trying to better themselves, improve themselves... Um, take things to the next level, then you're just going to be more, you know, talk about inspiration. You're going to be more inspired to do those things as well. And you're gonna be able to mastermind about how you do it. It's just, you just keep building on each other. So I think surrounding yourself with people who, uh, in places that you want to get or people like you want to be like um, is is huge. Yeah,
0: That's something I've been intentional about too. Actually, probably from Joe and a couple other people. I want to talk about this and it's a side note and it's a story. I just think it's cool. You guys were high school sweethearts. I know this has nothing to do with business, but I (laughs) think stories are, I think stories sell it. I'm intensely interested in stories. Yeah. I haven't, I think I've met one other person, the Millwards, where they were high school sweethearts and you're still together. Yeah it's it's like uh it's like the goose that lays golden eggs or the unicorn or <laughs> i don't know such things exist how did that happen and and how that work
1: uh, <laughs> have you ever heard the story about how we met
0: i have briefly but not everybody else has heard it all that.
1: right so um uh, i'd love to say that it was love at first sight it wasn't it wasn't quite <laughs> that uh <laughs> so yeah we met um, in biology class in 10th grade and um And I I had a boyfriend at the time and he was seeing somebody at the time and whatever. And then he started, we sat in the the back row of the the classroom, you know, Rebels or whatever. Not really. (laughs) I wasn't like that at all, actually. But we did sit in the back of the classroom. He sat in the back with us, too. And. He was kind of picking on one of my my friends that was a guy. They had known each other, and he was kind of teasing him and stuff like that. And I said, you know what, you need to go sit on the other side of the room. Like, I'm not going to have you here making fun of my friends. Like, whatever. So I told Joe to go sit on the other side of the room, and um, that could have been it, right? But um, I there's something about him that really drew me to him. Um, his his confidence and like his uh, I don't give a crap about like what other people think I'm going to do, what I think is what I should do whatever, just like different things about it. It was so different from how I was. I was very reserved, very quiet. Um, so opposites attract. I truly believe that. And so he ended up coming to my surprise birthday party. Um, we were in the swimming pool as my boyfriend at the time, myself and Joe, and Joe was like dunking me underwater, right? <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time was like, you dunk her again and, and we're going to have an issue. What is Joe? What do you think? Oh yeah,
0: do? that's not the right thing to say to Joe. <laughs> it's like, we have an issue now.
1: <laughs> so Joe dunked me again. Yes, immediately, right? <laughs> immediately. And of course, nothing happened, thank goodness. But uh, but anyways, I was like, wow, this guy's kind of a badass. I like I, I kind of want to get to know him better. And um and yeah, so that was a friend's birthday party, and then my friends, you know, obviously talking, whatever, saying, "Oh, that's interesting." So I, I broke up with my boyfriend. He didn't have anything else going on there with, on his side, and uh, then he came to my surprise birthday party, and it just kind of evolved from there. So
0: from 16 years old to 30 years old, so 14 years, Almost half our life. Yeah, it's longer than Gina and I. Gina and I have been together for 13 years, so 14 years from 16 on.
1: Yep. We truly really grown up together. It's been really cool. And we went to different colleges. He didn't go to Michigan. He went to Central, so we were a couple hours apart. He took a year longer to graduate, so while I was moving that 6-month rotational program, um it was long distance. He would come visit when he could, whether I was in Boston or um Texas and then finally towards the end of Texas and then we moved to California for the last rotation of that 2-year program. He was able to join me and and stuff. So we kind of we grew grew up together and we had times of long distance. We had, you know, this yeah. It's was it awesome. ever
0: not going to work, or was it always going to work?
1: There was one time where we quote unquote broke up uh, for about a day. He claims it was longer than a day, but I think it was about a day. He says it's like three or four days, and we talked every day, and pretty much everything went on just as if we, we were. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, I don't. We weren't like that couple that broke up, got back together, broke up. Not nothing like that. No, we had that that one incident, the instance that I remember. Um, yeah, it was just it. I mean, it wasn't necessarily love at first sight that we both recognized, but uh, there's always been this extreme attraction between the two of us and uh, yeah, he's, he's awesome.
0: Well, I like Joe too, and I think it's a, I think it's an interesting interesting story. Not too many people marry their high school sweethearts, and you guys stayed together the whole time, and that's a long time, so yeah. that's interesting. So now I open it up. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to talk about? It could be anything. It doesn't even have to be about business necessarily. So, Um,
1: I think one thing, I don't know, I just guess would talk a little bit about is following your passion. Mm. I think so many people um, start their day hating getting out of bed, hating going into work. You see it all over Facebook. You see it everywhere, right? And it's so tragic um, that people have to live nine, ten hours of their day in a work environment that they hate. It's awful. That's most of your life that you're spending that way. And uh, so I would I would just encourage people to try to think about what you're passionate about and what drives you. And if you do that, you're going to be highly successful in whatever that is. And yeah, maybe it doesn't pay the bills from day 1, but if you can even kind of just work it into maybe you have a <clears throat> a position in a job that is tolerable maybe it's not your ideal but you can fit in that passion as well and then see where that takes you um give it a shot be take that risk be willing to to take that risk because um there's nothing more liberating and freeing than doing what you love
0: that's that's excellent advice too i've rotted away at jobs that i didn't like and you got to do what you got to do sometimes, but right. not for a second longer than, right. than necessary. And obviously, you guys don't have any regrets about seizing opportunity, right?
1: No. No, just believe in yourself. Just yeah. give it a shot.
0: Go for it. Thank you. I want to thank my guest Renee for her time today, and I want to encourage you to check out what she is working on. Go to facebook.com forward slash Delia, D-E-L-I-A, real estate Group. Go to Zillow.com forward slash profile forward slash Joe dash Delia or maybe more easily go to the Delia group.com Thank you, Renee. I really appreciate this. Thank you. If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, give it a like, share it with your friends. If you wouldn't mind, I really appreciate it if you rated it on iTunes, Stitcher or whatever you're listening on. This is a free podcast and all that really does help. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, reach out and let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors, or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if and when I ever get around the figuring out a fucking edit YouTube videos, I'll youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. I am working on that. I apologize. It will eventually be up there as I wrap up this podcast, you know it's coming. I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. This is my secret anarchist message. I know there are distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, bad starts in life. I get it. Pick a goal. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you close to your goals, even if it's one step. Sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes it's a half step. And I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate your attention. I know you could be doing anything else right now. And until the next podcast, crush it.